Hi, and welcome to Under Our Skin Podcast. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Hi, and welcome to Under Our Skin Podcast today. Podcasting. Today we're here with Joe Capabianco at Hope Gallery Tattoo in New Haven, Connecticut. How you doing today, Joe? I'm doing pretty good. No complaints. Excellent. So, as I do in all the podcasts, I'm going to start earlier on in your life and move through and, you know, see, okay. where, see where it takes us. All right. Um, so, oh, I was going to say, where did you grow up? I grew up on Long Island, New York. I oh. grew up uh, I'm on, uh, from, from the South Shore of Long Island, a uh, town called Lindenhurst, like between Babylon and, uh, and Copec. So okay, so are you, is that that's in uh, in Nassau? Yeah, uh, no, it's actually Suffolk County. It's oh. probably it's almost like smack dab in the middle of the island. So, oh, okay. Yeah, on the South Shore, we grew up like not too far from Robert Moses and stuff, you know. Oh well, was, yeah, which is Jones Beach for those of you out there. Not, yeah, exactly. Not from the area. Probably about twenty five minutes from there, I think. Yeah, okay. I didn't actually realize Jones Beach yeah. was that far out. I thought it was a little closer in. Yeah. And what was what was the childhood of, of Joe Capabianco like out there? Uh, I mean, you know, my dad's from Italy. He moved to the States when he was 21. My mom grew up in Queens. That's where they met in Queens. My dad owned restaurants back in the day. Um, and uh, for me, it was like my dad worked. My, both my parents worked all the time, like constantly working, you know. And uh, so for me, it was just normal. I mean, we had a house on the island. A uh, nice big backyard, you know, a pool, you know. But I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad because my dad was always at work. My mom worked, day, you know, days and nights. You know, she was either a bartender at night, and that was later on in my life, but she was a waitress. Like, she worked at the the, 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 the Lindenhurst Diner for okay. most of my life. I think when she left there, she'd been there for 27 years wow. before she, you know, she got sick eventually and had to leave. But, I mean, for the, a good chunk of my life, she was she worked there, yeah. That's a long time to be at, yeah. at one job. And I remember like when being a kid, like my dad owned uh, the second or th- second or third restaurant my dad owned. He had a, um, it was a luncheonette that served breakfast, uh, breakfast, lunch, and occasionally dinner. And um, it was a, uh, I remember a couple of mornings, like my dad having to take us in before, you know, for whatever reason, my mom worked late or whatever. And uh, my brother would go to kindergarten and I was already old enough or preschool, I think it was, I don't remember. But I remember going to to the dine, the the, the lunch net with my dad, and being there at five o'clock in the morning when oh, they were delivering God. bread and shit like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it was pretty, I kind of an uneventful childhood, I think. You know, I mean, pretty much kept to ourselves for the most part. Yeah, you know? pretty typical. Yeah. yeah, this might seem like a weird question. Uh, how come your mom didn't work at the restaurants your father owned? Well, actually, she did work at the one restaurant. That's where they met. Okay. It was a, a place called, uh, I think it was Villa Fiore was the name of the restaurant in Queens, okay. which is where my mom grew up. And uh, I'm pretty certain they worked together for a short period of time there. Um, and then my dad eventually closed Villa Fiore um, and then uh, moved closer to the island because mm. that's, I think after they had gotten together uh, and, you know, they got married and stuff, um, they bought a house in Lindenhurst and to be closer, because again, going back and forth to Queens from Lindenhurst, back then probably wasn't terrible. This is back in 1960, 60 something, 60, yeah. I, I was born in 68. So they probably moved out to the island at 65 maybe. Okay. Um, and back then it was a little bit, traffic was a little bit less, I would imagine. <laughs> it's probably not as brutal as Exactly. It is today. Yeah, that's the worst part about Long Island. Oh, yeah. But um, so yeah, they, 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 you know, I think that they just wanted to be closer. So they opened up a, um, Luncheonette. I can't remember what town that was in. We, I mean, my dad were just talking about it. it might have been Hopog or something like that. 
Um, fuck, I wish I can remember. I don't even remember the name of the luncheonette, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, he had that for many years, too. And then eventually he moved out, of, he got out of there. And he, was, he stayed in the restaurant business up until I was like, probably until I was like my mid to late 20s, like to probably my late 20s. And then eventually him and his brother had a falling out. They had another restaurant uh, on the East End, uh, on Long Island, on the South Shore. And they had a falling out. And my dad's like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm out. And became a butcher, did that for several years, and then um, eventually just uh, got into landscaping. Love landscaping. Really? I mean, growing up, we had the biggest fucking garden you can imagine. Like, this this area that we're in now, my yard was probably four times as big as this. And the garden my dad had was probably the length of two of these. And it was wow. immense. So the only time my dad ever cooked, like the one night we had with my dad was Monday nights. Monday nights was your father's night because he's off that day. Mm-hmm. He'd get in super late in the morning, or super early in the morning, Monday morning from working on Sunday. Because Sunday at the restaurant, usually restaurant closes around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at mm-hmm. night. They do a big dinner for all the people that work there because oh. I used to work at the restaurant too when I was a kid, which is some of my fondest memories growing up. But um, he would work late at, the, at night. I used to work on, uh, when I was like, I was probably 12 years old when I started going to, the, going to work with my dad at the oh. restaurant. And he would take me in um, sometimes on Thursdays, Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. And then Thursday nights, my, one of my cousins would take me home because my dad would stay there. Mm-hmm. And then Friday, Saturday, I would, I would have to be there till, I'd be there till one o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning with them. Really? And they'd make a big dinner for all the employees at work. There was kind of a high-end Italian restaurant yeah. called Marco's in Hewlett. And um, Sunday nights, I would work and then one of my cousins would have to take me home because my dad's like, ah, oh, we're playing cards tonight. You can go home with the, you can go home with your cousin Gail. So she would take me home, and or one of one of the other people would take me home. And I, you know, I remember waking up hearing the garage door open. Yeah. My dad had this big Cadillac. He used to park in the garage. So he'd come home at like three thirty, four thirty, five thirty in the morning. You'd hear the garage door open up. He'd pull the car in, stumble into bed, and then next morning he was up at nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning, cup of coffee, out in the garden, and be in the garden from. Before I went to school, or after I went to school, till I came home at five at, at five o'clock, four o'clock, or really? whatever it was. All day like and that? that night was the night he made dinner for us, and he would everything came from the garden. You know, it was it was fantastic. That's awesome. You know, that's real. Uh, yeah, it's straight that's up real, like like old school old school Italian. Guinea. Yeah, yeah definitely. That's, that's definitely. great though. I think. Yeah, no, I I won't. I, I mean, the only I, I'd say the only issue I had is my dad always worked. You know, I mean, my, yeah. my mom too. But we spent more time with my mom. My mom always made sure that. There was, there, was, there was dinner on the table. Like, you know, we never ate for fast food back then. It was like every night, yeah. was, you know, we cook, she cooked dinner for us, you know? Well, I mean, you know, restaurant, restauranting is like, is like tattooing. It's, it's a job that's, that's it's all, all encompassing. encompassing. Yeah, yeah, it just takes up all your time exactly. and everything. It's just so intertwined with your life. Exactly, just... exactly. Switching from, switching from a, a restaurant owner to a butcher it was when you said he became a butcher did he open his own shop or did he no 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 it's else? funny like it's well he, i mean working in the restaurant like i mean you're going back in the day when there was no schooling like my dad learned what he learned knows through family you know what i mean like they knew how to cook it wasn't like they went to school back then whatever you know so back then when you ordered 
you know, your beef or your veal or your chicken, anything mm -hmm. in a restaurant, you got the whole fucking thing. Like you got an entire rib, of, you know, entire side of cow. You know what I mean? So he, so he learned to butcher it. So he learned how to butcher back then. So when he got fed up with the whole restaurant thing, he was just like, you know what? Fuck it. I know I can do this. Went to work at meat farms on the island, which is, I, I used to be a chain. I don't know if it still is. I know there's still one or two around, but it used to be a, a fairly large chain. Um, like a proper butcher uh, and market. And uh, so he did that for quite a few years, you know what I mean? Um, whenever we had a cousin that shot a deer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they call my dad up. My dad's like, yeah, I'll be there in, a, I'll be there in an hour. And they'd literally be hanging in the fucking yard. And again, another thing I remember is going to my, one of my, my cousin Angelo's house and my dad showing up with all of his fucking, you know, knives. And this fucking deer is hanging up there, <laughs> gutted already. And he's fucking, he stripped the fucking deer and he fucking laid out the roast, the ribs, the fucking, the loin, everything. And it was like, he would tie the roast up for them, you know, season it before he, he gave it to them. Like, it was crazy. Wow. And he'd have it knocked out in like, I don't know, back then, I don't remember exactly, maybe a couple hours. And, and he'd do that a bunch, you know what I mean? So for him, I guess becoming a butcher, it's something he enjoyed. He had his brother actually did own a butcher uh, in uh, in Amityville. And it was there up until recently. He sold the business, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, retired, went into into real estate, his brother Carmine. And um, he, uh, uh, I don't think the butcher's there now. I think that's now gone. But he did that for 25 years before he sold the business. Uh -huh. You know, so it wasn't everybody in our industry in my, or my dad's side of the family was in some kind of like, whether it be the food industry. I think there was one brother, his youngest brother, who just passed recently. Um, he he went to college. He was one of the few brothers that was born here. It was one brother that was born here, one sister that was born here. Um, and they went to college. They had proper education, I guess, you know. Um, and he went in for science or something like that. And he ended up going in to open up a pizzeria. He owned like a pizzeria in Babylon for a long time. Um, and then eventually he went into landscaping. And then when my dad got out of the restaurant business, he picked up a couple of shifts with him and then eventually just did his own thing. My dad did that for 20 years. He just retired. He's 60, retired at 68, I think. And every day, two other guys that work with him, my dad was a motherfucker. I mean, he still is. I mean, he's, he's a monster, you know what I mean? He's had a, he had just had a triple bypass, not a triple bypass. He had a couple of stints put in. It wasn't a triple bypass. Um, and he's had some health issues, but for the most part, you know, he just turned 80. You know, we just we just celebrated his birthday uh, two weeks ago. God bless. You know, yeah, he's phenomenal. I mean, I can only hope. You know, yeah, so that's that's really something. Um, as you're going through your normal childhood, when you get into when you get into high school, which is you know the age that a lot of us start to you know branch out, do something different. What were you, was it? Well, I think, I mean, so my entire life I drew. I mean, I remember being a little kid and having those little academic line, line you know, the black and white, you know, yeah. notebooks. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember drawing like, my, I think my first thing I remember drawing was a cousin had a chalkboard. I don't even know how fucking old I was. I was pretty young, maybe five, six. And she drew a plane, you know, a real basic yeah. plane. And I remember that was one of the first things I drew. And then when I remember when I was probably... I'm probably eight or nine. I remember drawing Universal Monsters. I was I used to love. I still love the Universal Monsters, like the werewolf, the yeah. mummy, the, the creature, classic horror movie. Yeah, monsters. Dracula. Like I remember so, doing all that stuff and the Universal Monsters and stuff. But I, I think like um, high school was pretty much the big change game, the game changer because like back then in high school, like everybody's like I never went to college for school. I never went to art school. Like our high school teachers, it was one one teacher named Mr. Ollinger, another one named Mr. Greco. And another guy named Nick, Mr. Baldo. Those were the three most youngest, like my youngest influences back in the day because they pushed 
art. Like if if you showed any any interest and any talent, they were all about you know making sure that you followed that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that was probably the, one of the biggest influences, and it was something I always pushed and pushed. And I remember, I think the biggest, yeah, another, another big game changer for me was in eleventh uh, grade. I think there was a guy named Eric Corrales who still lives in in, New, in on Long Island. Um, he was painting a mural on a wall. He was right. doing the three art teachers' portraits oh, cool. in airbrush on the wall. And I was just like, I remember walking by and like, what the fuck is that? Like, what is that? What are you doing? And he's like, oh, it's an airbrush. I'm like, dude, that thing is fucking cool as hell, man. Like, where did you get that? And he goes, oh, you know, it's an art supply store called Pearl Paint and blah, blah, blah. He goes, you know what, man? If you're really interested in it, there's a guy who in the Busy Bee Mall. He teaches, he teaches people how to airbrush. You want to learn how to do it. So me and another good friend of mine, this guy named Jay Camel, we ran to the, we, we got a ride, I should say. We didn't run anywhere. No, we got a ride from one of our parents, got dropped off the mall and met the guy, uh, this guy named Frank Chinani. And, um... We, we, I, I could only afford to take one lesson. I was still working. I was working in a restaurant. At that time, I was working in my uncle's pizzeria in Babylon. And, um, like, I, I could only afford one lesson because I was, I was kind of, at that point, like, my dad had moved out. Uh, my mom needed help with things. So I was helping her. I was working. I was kind of throwing money at her, uh, with her, you know, to help her with the house and whatnot. Um, and this is like, we're, I was like, like a 16, I think. Um, and I took one airbrush course, bought a cheap little fucking airbrush. And my friend Jay took like six of them and he bought the good airbrush and he would come back to his house and teach me what he learned that yeah, day. Pass you on all the stuff that yeah. you taught him. Went in, got a job like three, we three weeks later, he gets a job, puts in a good word for me. I come out, can afford a good airbrush. I start working. And we did that for... Like from eleven, like the end of eleventh grade, or the or the very end of eleventh grade into the summer, and then all through our twelfth twelfth year of high school, and then from there we just moved on. We eventually opened our own little spot up in the mall, mm -hmm. um, and we had a blast, man. I was making money. I was making good money, right in high school. You know what I mean? Like I can't complain. You know what kind of stuff were you airbrushing back? Oh, then? back then back it was jackets denim jackets. Like yeah, like so that guy Eric, man. The best fucking denim jackets ever. Like, they were fucking amazing. And this guy would always score the the brand new fucking Iron Maiden cover, the Dio cover. Like, and as soon as shit came out, like, all the imports, all the fucking picture discs, this guy did every single fucking cool-ass one of them. So for us, it was like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And he was showing it off to us. And back then, you didn't have the internet. So it was like, he'd have to show you photographs that he took and... But, dude, I, I remember, I'm having chills thinking about it. I remember all that shit. But the worst part is when you went to the mall, it was you got the denim jackets. But then I came in just as Duran Duran. Uh, New Kids on the Block was kind of on its way out. <laughs> and Duran Duran was kind of on its way in. Yeah. So I caught the tail end of New Kids on the Block and having to do portraits of New Kids on the Block on white T-shirts. And then eventually Duran Duran. Occasionally Elvis. Because the, the guy had an Elvis, uh, Elvis fan club that used to get stuff from him and oh, shit. Cool. Satin jackets with dudes fucking eye rocks and shit on the back and stuff. <laughs> like, real fucking cougine bullshit. Like, long, like, fucking straight up Long Island, yeah. like, South Shore Long Island shit, you know? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I did that for fucking a long fucking time. I mean, I, I, but, again, it was amazing. Like, I, 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 it, was, it was super fucking cool going into yeah. work and just... Being in a mall from, you walk in, it was daylight, you leave, it was fucking, I mean, we paint for like 10 hours, 15, wow. 20 hours. I remember Christmas time, you'd, you'd paint from 11 o'clock in the, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning 
till 9, 30, 10 o'clock when the mall closed. And then we'd all go back to his house. He'd buy us a case of fucking Yoohoo and we'd sit in his fucking kitchen <laughs> and living room fucking just painting fucking shirts and knocking them out, putting them in fucking bags with a tag next to it. It was fucking ridiculous. It was like, it was like, it was like one step away from slave labor. But it was a blast. <laughs> I mean, I met guys back then that I, I fucking, I wish I still stayed in touch with them, unfortunately. I don't. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, that's really, airbrushing is really a, I guess an '80s art form. I mean, it, it, oh, yeah. it, it has, didn't really survive out of that kind of one. You know, era it's in time, funny. But it was, yeah, it was, it, it at was that time was such a big. It's deal. like it was it's so definitely great. looked down on. So we, uh, so oh, I, I, and I, I mentioned like Christian because Christian's standing right here. But uh, so there's a there's a thing up here called the IMC, Illustrators Masters Class, and it's it's put on by illustrators, like professional illustrators. These guys do nothing but fucking work in their trade, you know, and they ho host these uh, these week long events and. Uh, I went to it. A good friend of mine, this guy Dan DeSantos, he's like, "Yeah, you got to, you got to do the Illustrator's Master's class. It's, it's gonna, it's a whole new level." And Christian had done it the year before. It blew him away. I'm like, "Fuck it, I'll do it." And this was going back. I think this was three years ago, right, Christian? It was three years ago. So three years ago, and um, it's held up at um, uh, what's call it, Amherst College up here in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went up there. It's a week long intensive thing, and you get to work with these artists and stuff. And I brought my airbrush. Like everybody's like, you're gonna learn how to paint up there because I don't paint traditionally. I paint with an airbrush still. It's been really yeah. I've been I've spent thirty something years, thirty five years. I've been working with the airbrush, and uh, I brought my air compressor, my fucking cart with all my fucking paints and stuff, and uh, I brought the airbrush and I worked for the week and I was afraid it was gonna make you know because it's it's not loud but the hissing and you know people get all into their yeah. thing you know. I had one woman complain about fumes. She's like, does it make fumes? I'm like, no, it doesn't fucking make fumes, asshole. It's like, it's just fucking just relax. Go to the other aisle, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it didn't. Nope, not one person complained. And it wasn't until the very end of the weekend that there was one guy named Scott Fisher, who's a phenomenal artist, illustrator, works in comic books and books and stuff like that. And he came by and he was the one guy I wanted to talk to because he was the one I, I kind of most felt like I was close to, like style-wise, I guess, whatever. And he was like, oh, you're the guy with the fucking airbrush. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, dude, he's like, I used to use one of these back in the day and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, dude, now I feel like a fucking dinosaur because I'm still doing it, you know? But yeah, I mean, I, I mean that weekend, it was, again, kind of life-changing in a sense. Uh, not life changing. It was it was very it was a big deal, and um, I mean I still it's probably one of the best paintings I've ever done. Being around all these people and taking those little hints and whatnot, it was it definitely it was cool. It was very cool, but it was very funny to see, see somebody recognize it because not everybody else everybody else is looked at as like yeah whatever dude. So airbrush. Everyone they were painting by brush. Yeah, airbrush, uh, really? paintbrush, watercolor, acrylic, oils. Most everybody now, especially. Especially at that time, everybody was learning oils. You know what I mean? And my thing is, like, I've always wanted to stand out, whether it be tattooing, art, whatever. I wanted to, I wanted to be recognizable as being me. And, and and the fact that I still use an airbrush, nobody else does. You yeah, know what I mean? So, sure. so it's still that something like that is definitely what's going to set you. It sets me apart. You know what I mean? Um, Jimmy made a comment. Uh, yesterday about he's like man I like I, I'm glad you picked this one this drawing over that drawing because this is what made made you who you are the problem being is you know what made me who I am isn't popular now you know and that's what's that's what we're going through right now in the industry is that the more you stand out it seems the less likely you are to you know glean popularity or, or get business from it you know you know what I never thought about it that way. When, as you're saying it, it makes complete sense because yeah. so many people, uh, 
just want to get what they see on on Instagram, on Pinterest. Exactly. On, and what are you seeing? You're seeing, yeah, you're seeing dumb little yeah, shit tattoos, tattoos, or you're seeing fucking photorealism, or you're seeing yeah. black and gray realism, or West Coast, or neo traditional. Like you're seeing the same thing to the point where a lot of these younger tattooers, like you can't even tell who did what. Like they're they're, they're yeah. phenomenal tattooers. I'm not knocking that, but you can't tell the difference sometimes between. You know, a Steve Butcher tattoo or a Carlos Rojas tattoo. You know what I mean? Or it's just—it's just one of those things where, like, while they're both to be admired, neither one of them has their own thing, their own little, their own little style that really stands out amongst everybody else's. You were able to apply whatever tips, tricks, whatever that you learned as by, by artists doing regular brush. This is, this is the bad part, yeah. part of doing this outside. I mean, it's a beautiful day out, which is nice. It's gorgeous. But yeah, we have a fire house right across the street. <laughs> um, I, I'd say, so what happened was um, I got my first tattoo. I was 21. I went to a place on Long Island with a bunch of friends. It was a friend's 40th birthday or 30th birthday. I don't remember. Right. No, I think it was her 30th or 40th birthday. She wanted to get tattooed. She knew a guy. We all go to the shop. It was a shop. <laughs> and uh, we all got tattooed. And I got my first tattoo. And... She was bragging about, at the time, I, I'm no longer working in a mall. I did have my own little side thing. I still did side projects, but now I'm working for a place in Freeport, New York. And I was, I was actually still painting jackets, leather jackets and denim jackets. They were knockoffs of these fucking horrible uh, Tony, what's his name, Tony Alamo? Or Tony Lama. No, Tony Lama's the boot. I think it was Tony Alamo or something Alamo. It was these fucking right. denim jackets that they put all these fucking, all this bling on. Dude, they were so fucking ghetto. <laughs> they were just, they were fucking just horrible. So we're doing knockoffs. Like he's got, you know, he's doing these one of a kind things that he claims are one of a kind, but they're probably being knocked out by like little yeah. Korean dudes in fucking LA, you know? So this guy on Long Island gets the idea, we should do this. And I'm like, cool. But he got, he kind of lured me into the business by saying, well, you're going to design t-shirts. You're going to make up rock t-shirts and this, that. I'm like, sweet. So I'm doing one or two of those like a week. But for the most part, I'm working in the back, almost like a sweatshop style, fucking painting these denim jackets. Then he gets into, could you do this on leather? I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. So we're doing Harley Davidson jackets. Well, knock off Harley Davidson jackets. So we're doing all that. And, um, I did that. I was doing that for about three years at that time, four years. And, uh, the guy who owned the who was working in the shop, my, or my friend who took us there for the tattoo shop, um, she's bragging about how great of an artist I am. Oh, you should you could see Joe's, you should see his stuff. You should see his stuff. And uh, I at that time I carried a portfolio everywhere because you're always showing off your work, you know. And I brought my portfolio and everybody looked at it and they're like, man, this stuff is killer. This stuff is killer. But nobody, the guy who owned the shop, could give a shit. He's this old school dude. Yeah. But one of the guys who worked there um, was just like, nah, man, this stuff is good, dude. I want to stay in touch with you. And I had business cards. I handed him a card. Like three months later, I get a phone call from him. He's like, hey, man, uh, or I, should, I shouldn't say it's a phone call. I got a, I got a, a, a pager. Um, oh. he, called my, he called my pager. Yeah. And uh, he's like, hey, man, uh, would you take on some work? And I'm like, yeah, what do you want done? He's like, well, I'm, I'm doing, a, I'm doing a, a convention. And I think it was... Um, it was a Jersey. It was a Jersey convention. It wasn't national. It might have been the. It might have been the J.D. Crow, uh, Dennis Dwyer, uh, tattoo tour. This is way, way back in the day, and it was a big convention for the Northeast. This is when there was like literally three shows a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was going to that, and he wanted a banner made up for for his 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 himself. It was Cliff's tattoo, and I'm like, yeah, sure, man, I'll do it. So I did this like. It's probably horrible now looking back on it now, but it was like this castle made out of skulls, like. Like real fucking hot topic shit, 
And I do the fucking, I do the banner and he fucking loves it. He pays me for it and he leaves. And he goes, you know, man, before he leaves, he goes, you should learn how to tattoo. And I'm like, yeah, I'm good, dude. Um, you know, just give me my money. I gotta go. I get paid. I leave. Three months later, I get another phone call. Another, uh, he gets in touch with me again. He calls me at my shop that I'm working at, at the place I'm working at Freeport. He's like, um, you should come down here, man. You should get, you know, you should, we should, we need to talk. And I'm like, you know, I don't want a second tattoo. I'll come down. And he's like, I just opened my own place up. Just come down. I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go down there. I got my second tattoo there. And while I'm there, he's like, you got to learn how to tattoo. And, I'm, and he's got his own place now in Center Reach. And I'm like, nah, I'm good, dude. And he's like, no, for real, man. Like, you should really learn how to tattoo. I think you'd be really good at it. And I'm like, I, I'm not into apprenticing, man. I got like, I have bills. Like I got, like, I got shit. I can't. I got a good job. Like I got medical coverage. Like I can't do this, you know? Yeah. Well, lo and behold, like three months later, four months later, I get laid off. Mm. He still keeps in touch with my good friend, finds out about it, calls me again at work and says, you need to come down here tonight. We got to talk. And at that point, I had literally just come back from fucking unemployment. My, my bosses were like, yeah, man, we're going to have to let you go. But we want you to do side work, but we're going to have to take you off the books. So you'll get paid cash. And I'm like, well, when is this happening? And they're like, well, you can still make unemployment. And I literally like left the office, went on unemployment, yeah. filed for unemployment, come back, and now I get this offer from Cliff. And I'm like, fuck it, I'll come down. I go down there. Before you tell me, so were you, when, when he, the previous times when he had asked you about, about coming apprenticing, were you, were you just not interested in tattooing I wasn't, at all, or was it more like a, a monetary I wasn't, no, I wasn't into tattooing. I mean, oh, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, I grew up, I grew up on the South Shore of Long Island. I was a fucking art fag, what we, what we call art fags now. Yeah. You know, but back then I was, I was like a, I played Dungeons and Dragons until I was 25, 26. Like I wasn't that fucking guy, dude. Like I wasn't. And it's funny in high school, I always hung out with, we called them heads. I, uh, I always hung out with the heads because I wasn't a jock. You know what I mean? But I knew all the jocks and then I started painting jackets and shit like that. So all the, like that whole metal head sure. fucking stoner, those are the guys yeah, that were, the yeah, but I didn't hang out with them either. Like I was always the, we- and I still am to this day. And even in this business, like everybody knows who I am. I shouldn't say it like that. That's not shitty. That's not my intention. But a lot of people know who I am because yeah. I've been in it for so long, but I only, I have very few f- really good friends and I have a lot of acquaintances. Like I know a lot of people and a lot of people know me, but it's always like, Hey, how you doing? And you just keep walking. Right. These aren't the people. I'm going and crashing on the couches. You know what I mean? So um, it wasn't something I was really into. You know what I mean? But at the time when I said, when I finally said yes, it was literally like, you know what? This is a cool medium. This is something different. And this is something maybe I can make a living at. You know, fuck it. If I don't like it, I walk away. Who gives a shit? Mm -hmm. Um, The thing I didn't realize back then was tattooing is one of those things that once you start it and you start to learn, and you really, and it's not even the issue of like, you make your own hours, you do it, because Cliffs wasn't like that. You worked your ass off. Like I worked seven days, in the beginning I worked seven days a week. I was there at fucking 11 o'clock in the morning to a fucking 10.30, 11 o'clock at night, you know? Um, what year was this around? This was back in 92, I think. 92, 92 93 is when I started apprenticeship. Right. I can say that's around when I started getting tattooed. This was and, the and this was probably the beginning of the shit show that took. Like this is when like you had a guy who worked for somebody else who still had a day job. A lot of guys back then still had day jobs. Like they were like, I'm out. I'm opening my own place. And he'd go out and the shop would be open. You know, he'd come in from two o'clock on, but he had a guy who worked there from fucking twelve o'clock on. You know, right. and. Um, that's when shops really started to kind of blow up. That's when you had guys who were just like, I don't want to work for you anymore. I'm out. So you, that was that first generation of I'm not the typical. And that's probably why I feel the way I do now, where I had a fairly traditional apprenticeship. 
and I talk shit a lot. I sh- I've talked shit about Cliff for a long fucking time because I just, I was hateful in the, in the way I was brought into the business in the sense that like for him, everything came to dollars and cents and I'm an artist. I, well, I consider myself an artist. Now I consider myself more of a tattooer. But back then, I felt, I was like, I was, I'm a fucking artist, dude. Fuck this. Like, I don't need this shit. This is bullshit. Like, I fucking, and I've, I always told Cliff, I'm like, you know, I'm not doing this for the money. Because he, he used to hold fucking dollars and cents over your head. Like, anytime I'd get lippy, and I get lippy. <laughs> like, that was the thing. We fought every fucking day. To the point where if it were me, I'd be like, dude, get the fuck out of my shop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Get the fuck out of my shop. You don't belong here. Fuck you. I would have told myself, I would have told him to go fuck off. But he put up with it. Um... And again, I, I'm an asshole, I'll admit it, you know, but it was one of those things that's like, dude, I, I'm not, like, he would be like, you're never going to make this kind of money airbrushing. You never made this kind of money. I'm like, A, you didn't know what I made. I did good money. I go, B, I don't give a fuck about money, dude. Like, I'm here because this is cool. Like, I was working with Civ. Like, this day I started my apprenticeship was the first day Civ came into that shop and started working. Um, I also met um, Sean Vasquez back then. He had, he had did, did a couple of days there because at the time, New York was still illegal. Right. So a lot of guys who wanted to make money, money on the regular, they would come to Long Island okay. and they'd go all the way the fuck out to center because Cliff is like, man, come on in, man. I need people here. You know, um, my first week apprenticing, I met Paul Booth. Paul Booth did a guest spot. He did a three day guest spot, four day guest spot there. And that was probably the game changer for me because when I met Paul, I keep seeing that word game changer. I never use that word, but that was probably a, a real turning point because it was like when I met Paul, I came in as like this art fag. I'm like, dude, I'm gonna fucking artist, man. I'm gonna fucking kill this. And then I watched Paul fucking draw, yeah. like this crazy demon head with the fucking nail coming out of its eye. And I went, dude, this guy can fucking draw. Like this guy's an this guy's an artist, and he's yeah. not fucking around. Like this guy's legit. So I think that was a sobering moment where now I know it's not just a bunch of bikers and fucking dumbasses who play act at fucking, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this, this flash design. I'm going to make it yours. And they go in the back and they trace it poorly. And then it's, oh, look at, here's your, here's your tattoo. Um, not to say that that's not important to learn, you know, but I felt it was, it was more important to try to draw stuff, you know, but to see Paul doing it, that's one of those moments where you go, ah, I'm really not that good. Like I can paint, but that's all I know. You know, I think at that time, in tattooing specifically, I think there was guy with guys like Paul Booth. I mean, there was a lot of guys pushing the envelope of of what you could do in which tattooing. is what I think helped me. And in that my, was the time. When yeah, it was happening. exactly. Because back then, like, so I lived in Lindenhurst, and Centerich was a forty minute drive, like 40, 45 minute drive. And this is when traffic started getting shitty on Long Island. And I would drive it every day. I was working seven days a week for the first probably my and the other thing, the other reason I'm so uh, I guess resentful about where I started was my apprenticeship lasted fucking, it was literally two weeks. I did one week of coming into the shop, scrubbing tubes, cleaning needles, because we didn't make needles. We, we scrubbed all of our needles because that's when Unimax popped up, Dermographics was there, and National, everybody was selling needle, pre-made needles. So I never learned to make a needle. I never learned how to mix pigment. I never learned how to build a machine. I built my very first machine with a guy named Tom Butler who came into the shop about probably about three months after I started and saw me as the young guy that I'm already tattooing two weeks in I'm tattooing you know two weeks in apprenticeship I'm tattooing making money and I think Tom looked at it as you need to learn how to build a machine dude and he's like and I and I think what happened was I, I actually asked Tom I'm like uh, I go man can you teach me how to build a machine because every time something goes wrong with my machine I get to Cliff and Cliff fucking adjusts my rubber bands and hands it back to me and says oh you're good um, and I'm not learning anything. And at the time, I, I, you know, it was just you, you're eager. You know, you, you want to learn. 
So Tim, uh, uh, Tom was like, yeah, man, listen, I'll tell you what. I'm going to make an order from National. I think we should both order kits. I wasn't going to order a kit, but I think we'll both order kits, and we'll sit down and we'll build a machine together. And Tom is the one that taught me to build my first machine. Um, and then from there, I, I mean, I'm not great with, uh, like, I, I can build a machine, or, I mean, I used to be able to. I don't know about now. It's been a long time. But, um, but it was, he was the guy who really did, did sit me down and showed me how to build a machine. You know, the first needle I built, my, my, the first needle I made mm-hmm. was fucking five years into my career. My wife... Who, who eventually became my wife, she's a tattooer as well. Down, she was down south at the time. She's the one that was like, you never made a needle? I'm like, nope. And I was like, <laughs> a dick about it. I'm like, oh, no, nope, never had to make a needle. She goes, and she's making needles. Like, she was making my needles at the time, too, because yeah. she makes great needles. And uh, she's like, sit the fuck down, you're making needles. And I'm like, come on. And she's like, no, sit down. I made a fuck, I don't even remember, I think it was like a seven mag or something. I'm like, cool, got it. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going back to work. And I, because we were in, we were at Lotus at the time, and I was just like, I got, I got an appointment. She's like, you're not gonna make these needles with me? I'm like, no, I'm good. <laughs> like, I'm an asshole. But I mean, so it's one of those things. Like, I don't think it was a proper apprenticeship. So that's probably why I'm so resentful. That and the fact that we just. See, butt I mean, heads. If, if you were only an apprentice for two weeks, and then they put, put you right in the. Yeah, I mean, I literally spent. I spent one solid week. Um, like literally drawing flash. I made a bunch of like cartoon flash because I was a huge Warner Brothers fan. So I had all these Warner Brothers books and Chuck, Chuck uh, Jones books. So I remember doing all this Warner Brothers flash, Tasmanian devil doing everything. Oh, yeah. We're hanging it up on the walls. It's, it's literally getting done color photocopy on the fucking wall. Um, and then I spent, you know, cleaning the, sh- well, helping clean the shop. That was the one thing with Cliff that I will admit, like, like it wasn't like scrub the fucking toilet, fucking mop the shop. Like, Everybody took, even though I was the, young, uh, the, the the low man on the pole, everybody did what they had to do. Like, and that's probably why I was when I when I opened my own shop eventually or whatever. It's like, or when they opened Lotus, like, and I was kind of the guy who came in every morning. Like, fucking shops got to get, it's got to be mopped every fucking night. This way, when I come in the next morning, I can, I can clean my to, my setups and go right to fucking work. And um, that was something that was definitely instilled for me by Cliff. And but the, but the cleaning of the shop was Cliff was insane with cleaning. Like, you knew he was on a tear or he was angry about something when he started cleaning toilets, started cut, like <laughs> pulling shit off the top of the shelves and then dusting above everything. Like, I'm like, oh shit, we're in trouble. Something happened. You know, but it was one of those things, like I didn't have, there wasn't that much to do. I mean, and the other thing too is, and, and I guess this is me talking shit again, but he knew he could make money. You know what I mean? Like, right. like I remember, so after my first week of doing apprentice tattoos, and it was literally like, I did, I did 13 free tattoos. I remember the I did I remember the first one I did and I remember the last one I did. And I remember Saturday night I had done one apprentice tattoo earlier in the day and then gave up my seat because I was doing stuff for free. There's guys here to make money. And it was ten o'clock at night on a Saturday night and Cliff walks up to me and he's got this little piece of paper and he goes, uh, he goes, Hey man, you wanna do this? Ten o'clock at night, we're getting ready to start packing it in. And I look at it, it's a little dragon head. I think it was a it was Mauricio was a, I think it was a Mauricio black and gray dragon head. And I'm like, yeah, man, I want to do it. He's like, 60 bucks. I'm like, money? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, fuck yeah, I want to do it. You know, immediately run back, make my line drawing, sit the guy down, tattoo it. I got 30 bucks. You know what I mean? The first, the first, the first money I made was 30 bucks. So it was like, and then from there on, I did one of my last free tattoo was during that week when I'm technically now I'm charging money. Some guy comes in, one of the, one of the guys who works there brings his good friend in and he says, Hey man, uh, this guy wants this big Celtic thing on his lower back. 
all fucking line work and shading. He's like, you should do this. This is this is part of your apprenticeship. And I'm like, cool. And I was just excited to do it. I was like, fuck, yeah. who cares? I mean, back then we did so much Celtic. You was, you almost you almost enjoyed it. So I do the I'm, I get this giant fucking Celtic thing done on this guy, and Cliff comes in fucking pissed. Comes in, he sees me finishing it. He's like, what the fuck is this? And I'm like, Bob told me to fucking tattoo the guy. Like it's like he's like, what are you charging him? I'm like, I'm not. I'm apprenticing, man. Like this is like, like yeah. yeah. And he's like, no, fucking bullshit. You're not doing this anymore. That's fucking, and he was mad because he knew the guy. He knew fucking Bob was giving his friend a hookup, whatever. Yeah. But it was one of those things. I'm like, dude, I'm, I, like, I'm still don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I've been tattooing for two weeks, man. <laughs> not even tattooing two weeks. At that point, I've been literally tattooing a week, week you know, like nine days. Yeah. So he was pissed, you know. And, and from there on, I've just never tried. I always charge people, man. You know, so it's, and again, when I left there, it was on a really, really bad, in a bad way. You know what I mean? So. How long were you there for? I was there for exactly one year. Like the, the, I like, again, I remember it was like yesterday. So like, I, like he basically came in and he was just like, um, Siv, Siv gave his notice. Um, he, he, he was walking the next day. I knew I wanted to work with Tom and Siv at Lotus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cliff asked me, I told him, honestly, I wanted to leave. I was going to give him three months notice and I got fired the next day. (laughs) And I was like, cool, whatever. You know, and I and I didn't care, I because I didn't like working there. You know, Cliff and I fought all the time, so I was like, "Cool, man, I don't, I'm good." You know. Normally, I would ask something like, "From when you started your apprenticeship to when you started as a full-time tattooer," but for you, it was such a short time. As from when you when you look at your stuff you did then, how do you, what do you think of it compared to? Um. Oh God, I mean, it's it's archaic, but it wasn't. You know well, what I mean? I don't, it's I don't like mean the style. What you did, I mean, just the. You know, whatever the technical application. Technical application. I think the one thing with me, it hasn't changed. Like I still tattoo, pretty basic. I don't. I don't. I'm not. I'm not full of bells and whistles. Like my bells and whistles come with color theory, which is basic. I mean, it's mm-hmm. super basic. I mean, everything I do today is how I learn how to tattoo. Solid line work, clean shading. You know, clean solid shading, clean solid color. You know what I mean? It's a. It's a, It's a foundation. And that's it. And back then it was flash. Everything was flash. Right. Like we didn't draw. I mean, I, I started drawing flash my first year at Lotus cause I wasn't making any money. So Tom Butler was like, okay, man, you need to make money, draw flash. And I'm like, and it never occurred to me to do that. Like an idiot. Like I'm like, who's going to want to buy my stuff, dude? We buy Eddie Deutsch. We buy Chris Trevino. We buy Jeff Rasher, fucking, you know, Scott Sylvia. You know, you had all the JD Crow stuff, you know, this is before Cherry Creek and all that other garbage. Which, by the way, isn't really bad flash. I just get solid work. But it's it's one of those things, like, back then, like, I'm like, nobody's going to want my shit, dude. Like, I fucking, I draw like I draw, you know? He's like, just fucking do it. And I started doing it. And lo and behold, people started buying it, you know? So, I mean, I produced, back in that time, like, my first year working at Lotus, I must have produced fucking, goddamn, like, 70 sheets of flash. When you say people bought it, do you mean... Other other tattooers in other shops bought, or people bought it as no, customers. No, other it, other other buy. tattooers. So oh. back then, uh, I think I'd been working at Lotus for two years, three years. Uh, fuck, I don't remember. I did my first convention because um, I'm trying to think. I think the first article came out on me in '95. It was like two years after I'd started tattooing. Three years after I started tattooing, I think it was '95. It was Tattoo Magazine, and I went to a convention in. Um, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Mm. And I was trying to get, no, excuse me, I went to a convention in Richmond. This is the first convention I started selling Flash at. Uh, me and a good, another good friend of mine, this guy Dave Atenido, who owns a shop called Good Clean Fun in Georgia, 
uh, he basically was like, um, he's like, hey man, like uh, I'm going to be in Richmond. You should come down to that show. It's a great show. I went down there, walked the show, walked the floor, was blown away by it. And I ended up talking to uh, Billy Easton that weekend and got fucking smoked. Like, he didn't even want to talk to me about trying to get a booth. I walk around, I run into Mark Fairchild who runs the Scranton convention, Wilkes, uh, Wilkes-Barre convention in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And uh, he basically is like, uh, I'm walking around with my flash and the first time I walked by, my, you used to walk around with your arm full of fucking flash. And the first time I walked by there, he just blew me off. I'm like, hey man, you looking to buy some flash? And he's like, no. And he just turned his back on me and walked away. I'm like, motherfucker. And then my, my friend, Dave walked up there and fucking Mark bought everything. I'm like, Fuck this So I went back there I'm like hey man Threw my shit down on the table I'm like you wanna buy some flash And Mark's like oh, I'll look at it And he's fucking flipping through it And he's like This is pretty cool I'm like thanks He's like You tattoo like this I'm like ah, I don't know maybe And I, I pulled my portfolio out And I had this little gray Leather portfolio You know I pull it out I put it on the table He, put, he looks at it And the article had just come out on me Like literally it just come out on me Like maybe two weeks prior And um he flips through it and there's a Betty page I did on a guy's chest. And he's like, this is you? I'm like, yeah, why? And he literally reaches behind the counter, pulls up a fucking the tattoo magazine and opens it up. And I had four, I had four pi- pictures on one page. And then I think you turn the page again and there was another four pictures. And it actually, I'm, it may not have been an article. It might have just been a piece on me. I don't remember. Fuck it. I don't remember. But he had, that, and life. every picture that was in the magazine was in the portfolio. And he's like, I'll take all this stuff. And he's like, man, you ever think of doing shows? I'm like, yeah, I'm trying to get a booth for this one, but I'm getting blown off. He goes, you ever think of coming to Scranton or Wilkes-Barre? And I'm like, no. I was like, am I invited? I'll, I'll do it. I'll come to the show if I, get a, if I get a booth. He goes, yeah, call me during the week. And he handed me his business card, and I called him during the week and stuff. But yeah, man, that was like, that was, that was the first show I'd ever did was Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And that show back then, so fucking cool. So cool. By that time... So around, then you're around three years into... Yeah, I want to say it was like probably three years in, four and, years in. Nah, three, no, it was like three years in. And how much of, how much of your own style had So had back then, so back when then. I worked at Cliffs and my first year tattooing at Lotus, I did nothing but black and gray. I did nothing but black and gray. And then um, a guy named Rob Vitale, uh, he was a singer from Black Train Jack. He was a singer from a band called Nine Lives. Black mm-hmm. Train Jack being an old school hardcore band, sure, which I'm I sure you're them. aware of. Um, he hung out. He, he grew up in Massapequa, Long Island. Oh, I always thought they were from New Jersey for some No, reason. they're from Massapequa. And Ernie grew up in, I want to say probably Queens, because yeah, he's, er- really yeah, he's, yeah, he's really good friends with, yeah, he's really good friends with the Civ and stuff. So I, I want to say Queens, but I don't, I'm not, I mean, I, I was a big fan of Black Train Jack, but I'm not a hardcore guy at all. So um, Rob wanted to get tattooed by me, and I'm, he's like, I was like, what do you want? And Rob was really starting to get into car culture. So he was like, man, I really want to, I want like, I love you, I love pinups. And I, I was always into pinups, but I never did pinups on skin. I always painted them. So I, cause I was still airbrushing, you know? So I had a bunch of paintings. I had done a pinups and stuff. And Rob's like, would you be interested in doing something like a girl in front, excuse me, in front of a, a jukebox? I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. So I did a Betty Page, which was an Olivia Betty Page. Uh, Olivia, the artist, uh, Olivia uh, DeBarney's, um the artist. I did an Olivia Betty Page in front of a jukebox on his chest. And that was one of the pieces I got in the article, in, in the magazine. Mm-hmm. And, every, and, and that was the piece that literally was like, I want color. I want color. Fuck black and gray. I, I had guys who got black and gray from me like, man, can you do this in color? And back then I used so much fucking black. I'm like, I don't think so, man. That's a lot of black, you know? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, after that, 
I never did black and gray again. Well, I shouldn't say never again, but I almost never did black and gray again. Everybody wanted color. And that's when the pinup thing started. So it was literally like I did that one Betty Page, and then I did more Gil Elvgren's, fucking George Petty's, like all the classic fucking pinup artists, because yeah. I love that stuff. Um, I did fucking Betty. I did Olivia Girls on more people that I can count back then. And that was one of the things that helped kind of catapult uh, where I ended up. You know what I mean? And back then, there wasn't a lot of people doing it. You know, back then, the the the... the the color guys were doing straight up new school, chrome toasters, you know, like that West Coast, San Francisco yeah. style. Yep. East Coast wasn't really known for that. East Coast was known for Paul Booth. You know, you had Guy Aitchison in the middle of the world, you know, in the middle of the country, and he was doing that biomech stuff. Yep. And so it was, it was kind of a time where if you did something different, it fucking stood out. And that's really it. It's like I continued it, I mean, to this day, which is probably going to kill me, but um, I continue to do something that I do, and that's, that's what got me separated. It's kind of weird in a way that you start you're doing only black and gray then because you're known as a color guy now. I mean, for your colors. I mean, and the thing is, even and to, and it's and to be honest, it's completely been detrimental to my career and my 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 skills because I do black and gray now and I love doing it and I like the way I do it. It's just that I'm not very good at. It. I don't consider myself mm. as good as some of the other classic uh, a squirrel in the tree. Um, <laughs> that'd be amazing if he jumps down here. <laughs> oh, yeah, just yeah, between the fucking bamboo. So, I mean, I would love to... I mean, I, I, it's like anything else. You you get better at it by, by doing it. And the right. thing is, here I do it when it's asked of me. Which is more often than not now. But, um, but yeah, I, I kind of feel like if I had stayed down that road, it might have been a little bit different. You know what I mean? If I had stayed at the Black and Gray. If I had stayed on Long Island, I probably... I don't know. It's hard to say. You know what I mean? Because when I, when I left Long Island, things really started to pick up and stuff. So I always feel like... Black and gray at that time, at least in the, in the early to mid '90s, was a, was a very New York kind of thing. Exactly. I mean, in New York, and I know they were doing it like like the um, like all the cholo stuff on the West Coast. Yeah, but you know, it's we didn't the, see like, a lot of that. Bias. Right, we didn't see that over here. But I mean, it, when you looked at in magazines then, which is uh, for me back then, that's how I judge stuff because that was yeah. really my only exposure to to, to you know stuff. Other than people I knew, I mean, you never black and gray was not uh, that back much. then. I mean, back guys, then, you got a lot of portrait style work. You had like guys like Darren Stairs. He was probably one of the bigger fat, like one of the earlier portrait guys. Like, it's Darren Stairs, yeah. And then you had guys like, uh, uh, dude, I'm horrible with fucking names. But there was a handful of Europeans and a couple of Midwest guys. And then you had the guys in like, like uh, towards. Um, New Mexico and stuff like that, like Brian Everett, right. Cap Zumski was a guy back then. Like, oh my God, like Cap did this. Um, it was a color piece from Cap that I forced him to do, uh, and um, it's fucking amazing. But um, it, back then, those are our black. Those are the black and gray guys that really stood out beyond Paul Booth. You know what I mean? Because yeah. for us, Paul Booth, Andrea, yeah, like Andrea like for that Giger stuff back mm-hmm. in the day. You know, uh, even Sean Vasquez for that matter back then was doing a lot of black and gray. Um, Fuck, I'm trying to think of some of the other names. But but the other good thing about the East Coast back then, too, is you had a lot of these European guys coming into town. And East Side Inc., that was the shop. I got tattooed by Bernard Luther there. Yep. East Side Inc. was like the landing spot for a lot of amazing European dudes. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, Jonathan Shaw was the guy who brought, you know, Philip Lou to the States for the most part, I guess, you know. But, but fuck, dude, there was so much shit happening back then. And this is still when New York was still underground. Absolutely. Like, there was still so much to be gleaned from it back then, you know? Yeah. It was a, a different world. Of but magazines, world. man, fuck, I wish they still, they still had as much sway. 
as they do. Social media is destroying shit, in my opinion. It's killing it. I mean, it's, it's, it's blowing things up so fucking fast that I, th- I honestly believe it's fucking ruining shit. And, and I don't, you know, I mean, that's my opinion, obviously, but... I feel like tattooing, you, you want it to walk a fine line between being really cool and edgy and something that a lot of people aren't getting but not on the other hand being something that if someone sees you with a with a sleeve they're gonna run away from you exactly screaming and yelling and it's it's that's a hard that's a hard line to walk yeah and yeah like you want it like you don't want it to be you don't want insanely super and that's the thing i mean you don't but I still think it's going to bite everybody in the ass today. Like, I mean, there are people getting so heavily fucking tattooed. You know these motherfuckers. I mean, dude, okay, everybody bitches about the tramp stamp. What do half these fucking 19-year-old girls think they're going to look like in 15 fucking years? And we're not saying, what's your tattoo going to look like in 15 years? Right. No, we're saying, how socially acceptable is that fucking tattoo on your fucking rib or in between your fucking finger yeah. or on the side or the back of your fucking arm? What do you think that's going to look like? All the women that you make fun of on the fucking, uh, on the on the uh, uh, the line at the supermarket who got their tit tattooed or their fucking hand tattooed, what do you think you're going to look like in fucking 15 years? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's one of those situations where everybody wants to be part of the fucking wants to be part of the trend but nobody realizes where the trend is eventually going to die out and you're going to be left standing there with the tramp stamp and the thing that fucked up about that is tramp like that lower back is an is a phenomenal place it's a very flattering spot yeah, for it, a, a woman ab- to get tattooed absolutely you know what i mean so if it's done properly why the fuck's it a tramp stamp yeah. dude there's so many people that are just like oh they, you got this beautiful design it's like oh this would look amazing there oh no no i you know i don't want a tramp stamp put it under my breasts Oh, yeah, because that's going to look good in 15 fucking years. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's just one of those things, man. Like, it's bullshit. And that's, and again, it's, 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 it's our culture. It's our people. It's our time. We're allowing the general public, we're allowing social media to decide what is right and fucking wrong. That is the most ignorant fucking thing in the world because nobody makes their own decisions. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you get people getting, you know, picking tattoo designs based on what they saw first on Pinterest. That is the dumbest fucking thing. And you got people bringing in Pinterest designs going, I want this because of blah, 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 blah. Really? Because I'm sure that this design means something completely different for that other person. So why the fuck are you trying to make it fit what you want? Here's an idea. Use your own fucking brain. Come up with your own fucking design or let we work with you and then come up with a design that works for you. Let me ask you this then. I'm not not quite sure how to put this. I'll put it so don't... No problem. Don't don't be offended on that. Oh, trust me. It's going to be pretty hard to offend. Do you feel like like doing a show like Best Ink? Oh or yeah, shows like Ink Master now, and, and he's you know whatever LA Ink in Miami. I mean, I can't oh, help changed. but feel like those I, th- shows, I honestly think those shows Miami Ink in, Miami in Ink changed everything. Yeah, Miami Ink is the one thing that changed everything, and I'm not knocking it because I did it. Um, and at the time, it was done in a way that you know you saw it and it was and it and it, and it put the thing I the thing I admire most about Miami Ink. And it'll go, it'll go, it'll resonate with Best Ink. But the thing I liked most about Miami Ink was it was about the client. Because to me, when someone comes up to me and says, What's your favorite tattoo? I honestly can't answer. I can tell you what my favorite clients are. And that to me means more than anything else. Like if I spend five hours tattooing somebody every three weeks and I look forward to that appointment, it may not be because of the fucking tattoo. I could give a shit about the tattoo. I enjoy spending time with the client. That's what Miami Inc. did. It basically took clients and it put them, it, it cast, it pushed them into the limelight and said, this is about you. Why are you doing it? The problem with that was when the media got a hold of it and said, 
now we need a we need a worse story. We need a dead kid. We need a dead mother. We need a dead father. We need this. We need that. I think Chris said it once. He's like, man, he's like, I couldn't sleep at some points because these people are telling me the, the worst fucking horror yeah. stories about their daughter dying. And that's when it became a shit show. That's when it became no longer about the client. It became about the story. Yeah. And now everybody has to fucking have a story. Yeah, you know, I've, I've thought that when those shows were on the air. I mean... Everyone, everyone who comes in, oh, this story, that sob story, and and I mean not to lessen their you know their stories, but I don't think of tattooing that way. And I, there's nothing obviously there's nothing wrong with getting a tattoo right. that that has that has some kind of personal meaning to you. But right. I mean, they don't all have to have. A they meaning. shouldn't have to have my, a meaning. My, People all the, the time meaning, they're like, um, why? why do you? Hey, I think it's cool. I like it. Exactly. I mean, that's that's what tattooing should be about, yeah. man. And that's and that's the thing that kind of sickens me. The whole best thing thing. And granted, I talk mad shit about TV. I still do, and I was on it. Um, and I probably will for the rest of my life. <laughs> but when I did Best Ink, um, so I got a phone call from somebody, and they said, hey, man, do you want to do, you know, do you want to do Best Ink? And um, the, or the, this producer's looking for, they're looking for people. It's a competition show, whatever. I'm like, no, fuck that shit, dude. Fuck, fuck you. <laughs> and, but then just before I hang up, I'm like, whoa, you know what? Uh, who else are they considering? And he brought, he brought up one or two names, and one of the names is somebody I find completely despicable. And I'm like, yeah, man, give him my number. Like, <laughs> pass it on. Yeah. So they reached out to me, and you have to do this fucking interview online, where, they, where you, uh, like a Skype interview with you can't see them, they can see you, whatever. And dude, I went out, like I was, like I, okay. So I literally stand up in front of my computer, I'm, my fucking hair's up, my fuck, I'm wearing a guinea tee. I'm like, at that point, I was almost 400 pounds, you know what I mean? So I was a big guy. I'm just doing this fucking interview. Went on for about 45 minutes, and uh, they come back with, that's pretty dog. They come back with, um, uh, yeah, man, would you be uh, interested in coming out to California? Like, for real? Yeah, sure, why not? So they flip the bill, fly me out to California. You spend all this time waiting for a fucking limo to pick, or car to pick you up, drive you to a studio. You spend fucking an hour waiting, 45 minutes doing interview get shipped back off to your fucking studio uh, back off to your apartment like it's just a lot of standing around and waiting yeah. so I go to the thing like fucking less than a week later I get a phone call it's like so we're thinking about starting to film these dates blah 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 are you available I'm like are you you're asking me to do this and they're like yeah why what's the matter is that a problem and at the time, I wanted to say no but I'm like you just picked a fucking loud mouth fat <laughs> fuck to be your fucking front guy yeah, I'll fucking do it. You know what I mean? And then the best part was when we get out there and we start talking about the, 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 the what they're doing, it sounded like Miami Inc. It's like these people have a story. We're going to, every episode opens with them telling why they're getting tattooed, why they get the tattoo that they want. And to me, I'm like, cool, that's highlighting the fucking, that's highlighting the client. Mm -hmm. That was really important to me. So I don't feel bad about, you know, having done the, the best thing thing. I'm not going to say it didn't degenerate the industry a little bit because it probably did, you know. Um, what it's turned into is kind of a fucking shit show and a nightmare. But again, when companies start making money and Spike gets picked up by Paramount, like, I mean, yeah. dude, how do you fuck? It's next level shit. It's no longer. My only issue with what's happening now with tattooing or with the shows is that I think the tattooers should be paid a shit ton more. Because not for nothing, this isn't a tattoo competition show anymore. Because I'm going to go out on a limb, and I don't know this for a fucking fact, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, most of those decisions are made well before the fucking, the, 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 the tattoo is finished. Yeah. Like, everybody knows who, and, and the one thing I will fucking say, 
And I will fucking, like, I never made a decision. Well, I shouldn't say I never made a decision. That's not entirely true. There were certain times where, where, where network would come and be like, hey, we want this person to go home today. I'm like, no. They're like, what do you mean no? I'm like, they didn't do the worst tattoo. And it was obvious that they didn't do the worst yeah. tattoo. And they're like, well, we don't want them on the show until next week. And I'm like, I really don't care. I was like, this is, I'm the judge. You know, fuck it. And then I, they actually brought a network first season. They brought it a third, second episode. They wanted to get rid of a girl who didn't deserve to go home. And network head comes out, uh, and that was a fucked up thing. They had a network person on fucking uh, on, on set every day, and they were like, "Well, you know, uh, you're under contract." I'm like, "For what?" Well, you know, it says in your contract that you know you ha- you know we have final say. I'm like, "Okay, I really don't care. Like, fire me. Yeah. I don't give a shit." Well, you can't do that. I'm like, well, I can because I really don't care. Like, that's the whole thing. I really don't give a shit. Right. Um, and that girl didn't go home. There were times where network would be like, we'd have two, three people on the bottom and they'd be like, we want this person to go home. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. They're either going home today or they're going home next week, so I don't care. Right. But, uh, and I will say, I'm not going to say who it was, but I fought, we fought every single season. Every single season, the, our, fi- our final two, we fought to have the person win that episode. So I don't feel bad about it. I will also say that I ain't getting paid Oliver and Nunez money. Yeah. I'm not getting paid. You know, I'm not getting paid with those guys getting paid. So I can't say that I would be as honest if I were in my seventh season getting paid some ridiculous sum of money. Yeah. At the time when you're doing Best Ink, and Ink, Ink Master was also on, right? Right. Uh, right uh, okay. Beginning. So when when I signed for Pe- Best Ink, Nunez, I called Nunez and said, "Hey, man, what? Like, I heard you guys, you guys are working on a deal." He's like, "Yeah, we just signed." yesterday so both shows were in development the exact same time we both started filming the same fucking week i think they started on monday we started tuesday no exaggeration our show came out six months later because the networks were afraid of releasing dude it's spike versus fucking oxygen oxygen is a laughable fucking network right right. it's a fucking joke they should have never gotten that fucking show I'm probably going to go to jail for that. But, but no, whatever. I mean, it, they should have never gotten the show. It was a horrible fucking, it was a horrible net, network to be on. It was, a, it was a while ago, but I mean, I remember actually liking Best Thing better. I think it, you know, feeling, the, the, that's the, it was more, more tattoo-centered. And, and than, therein, lies, than, therein lies the shame of it, dude, because like when the show ended, I didn't feel bad. Like The last episode we did was a fucking joke. Like Actually, even, even Teresa and fucking DJ's episode, fucking laughable. Like That last episode, like I was so fucking angry. Like, oh, and it was one of those things when it ended, I was like, cool, whatever. And then the fourth season, they tried to cut, they were like, so we're thinking about bringing the fourth season back and our contract had just ended. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, here's my lawyer's number. And they're like, whoa, what do you mean? You're not willing to just come back? I'm like, no fucking way. Like, you want me back, you're gonna have to renegotiate the whole fucking kit yeah. and caboodle. And, they, and from that point on, they were like, yeah, we're cool. They just wanted to be able to go to the fucking thing and be like, oh, by the way, we have this. And they weren't gonna fucking, they were just jerking everybody off. They just wanted something for a, to put on a fucking piece of paper to say it had more than they had, mm. so. Do, do you feel like on Best Think now, from now, because now it's been it's been a minute since. Oh, it's been wait, five, seven? six years, seven oh, years. Okay. It might be more. I don't even know. So, is there is there any artists, any tattooers that you that were eliminated, or maybe earlier, or maybe eliminated on the show that you're thinking that now maybe you're thinking oh maybe they should have gone further or maybe they could have. No, okay. honestly, no. I'm trying to think like. 
I, I got on, 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 on our show especially because um, not, there, maybe, I mean, maybe, there were a couple. Maybe not, maybe not because of the work they did on the show, but maybe I don't. Maybe, so maybe I've only followed. On that I, I'm 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 honestly super happy that I got to meet DJ because I didn't know who the fuck DJ was. I knew who Teresa was. You know what I mean? I think Teresa was well on her way to making a name for herself before uh, the fucking show. She didn't need the show. They're, they're both DJ, great. I think, was something that I I don't want to say the show. I, don't, I, I think the only thing the show did for DJ, maybe, and I don't know DJ well enough to say this, but I think what that did was, was did, I think it opened his eyes up to the fact that, hey, man, there's more, more to the world than Vegas. And I said to him, I think the last episode, I said to him, do not go back to Vegas, bury your head in the fucking sand, and disappear. Because, dude, I had no idea who you were before this show, and you fucking blew me away. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, and, I, and, and the thing is, like, London, phenomenal fucking tattooer, fucking Alexis. Like, dude, she was just, I think she just got booted off fucking yeah. Ink Master a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Dude, she's a phenomenal fucking tattooer. She's a fucking tattooer. Like, phenomenal tattooer. And then I heard why she got bounced. I don't watch the shows. But I heard she got bounced because you put too much black in your tattoo. Like, give me a fuck. Well, she did a really good tattoo and you're going to hold it against her? Well, you know, to me, that's always been the problem with, with Ink Masters, that the judging... The judging is, is suspect at best, and I, I you know I don't want to I don't want to accuse anyone. I don't want to say anything. Well, and that's the thing. I can't I can't say for certain, but I've heard stories no, from reliable individuals, and I and I know like I, after seeing what went went on with our show, the only thing that kept our show from turning into a fucking nightmare or a shit show was the fact that I wasn't gonna I don't give a fuck. Like I looked at it as like, dude, I I have friends in this business. They'll call me on it. They had I had people trying to call me on the DJ Teresa thing. I had people mm. trying to call me on the fucking last episode. Oh, you just voted for a girl? No, we didn't. We had a reason for why we did it. I can't tell you, but I can tell the fuck. Oh, I've, I've told the story a million times. But, um, but I mean, we had a reason for why we did it. And I wasn't the only one arguing. Hannah Aitchison was too. So fuck them. Like, I can honestly say most of, I'd say 98% of the fucking decisions I made were fucking ours, not fucking networks. Right. And if I did do something because of network, it was because, ah, fuck it. They're going home anyways. You know? But again, I'm saying that knowing full well that I was getting paid dick all and I was going to be an asshole so yeah. fuck it I mean because well, it, I mean it's, it's your reputation at that point you're not doing it for the fucking money sure. like well, I can't walk away from this going well at least I made a shit ton of fucking money well that that's why I asked about when when best thing started in relation to Ink Master because I was going to say in the beginning of Ink Master they were probably making no money also exactly, as, as exactly. I remember talking to Chris like uh, like during all that and Chris straight up said you don't start making money till like the fifth or sixth ep- season mm. and I'm like dude there's no go- there's no way it's going past first season <laughs> I was shocked it went to three I'm I'm blown away by how far this has gone I'm blown away by it and, and good on him man I mean that's phenomenal yeah. that's fantastic but again going back to the original question yeah it's fucking everything up yeah I mean, it's fucking everything up but it's it's fucking everything up in the grand scheme of things I think when you get down to the nitty gritty of it, there's still a core group of fucking tattooers that don't give a fuck about what's going on. There's a core group of fucking clients that don't give a shit about what's going on. The problem being is I don't necessarily fit in that one and I don't fit in this one. So that's where I, that's where I'm at now. I'm in this in between fucking space where it's like, Oh, you were the TV guy. Oh, you were the fucking TV guy. So it's like, that's the, therein lies the fucking problem. So it's like, I find myself in a situation now where it's like, I, I don't I'm not gonna cater to either one. I'm not gonna be like, oh fuck the TV, fuck the you know, I can't. I'm I play both sides of it. If you can't see that, right, then fuck you, dude. And that's the problem. It's like cause that that pool is this big. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean I, I I can't help but always think in in really in for tattooing and, and for for subculture kind of counterculture things in general, that I mean what you've just said is, is 
spot on. You're always going to have your your core your core people that that's that's their lifestyle. Right. And even when the even when the big uh, you know even when 15 minutes of fame ends, they're still going to be there, and yeah. everyone else is going to be gone. And well, the scary thing is though, it's, it's where this is going to lead us. You know what I mean? Facebook. Instagram, what's the next big thing? Nobody thought Instagram would last as long as it did, and look where yeah. it's at now. It's it's changing the world. Um, I mean, fuck, you got you know actors using it to fucking you know tell people about the fucking rainforest, and you have the same amount of people telling people about the rainforest. It's all bullshit. So it's yeah. like, like it's, it comes to a point where it's this sensory overload, and it's what direction you happen to be looking in that dis- that directs you to the direction you're going in. So it comes down to. Who the fuck is right and who's wrong? And the problem being is we rely on social media for most of our shit. So what is right and what's wrong? You you believe what's told to you and that's that. You don't ever take... And that's the thing. It makes everybody lazier. Nobody t- spends the time to actually go and do a couple of different research, different types of research. Well, you may, but you're you're probably three percent of the fucking population. Yeah, I, I, I know. I don't. I don't certainly don't research everything no, like that right. I see. But I mean, sometimes I see things. On, on whether it's on my side of, of the viewpoint or the other side, sometimes I see things that are so, that strike me as so fantastic, so ridiculous. Yeah. I'm like, I, I have to look into this. Yeah. I just can't take it at, at face value. Right. It's just too much to, yeah, to, 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 believe. Yeah, but, to believe. But no, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, so many people just see anything, and so many people see anything that, you know, bolsters their point of view, right. and they're just ready to get right behind and say, you know, Whatever, whatever you're thinking on 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 Hillary Clinton is, you know, I don't I don't like to talk politics on something like this, but I mean the idea that she's, you know, selling babies from a pizza place in in DC is is just it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, but how many people are willing to back people, that because they happen to be looking that direction? Yeah, and people still know? and pe- there's people that still believe that. I mean, dude, the fact that crazy. the fact that social media plays the role in politics that it does. Dude, the fact that we have a president... Oh, this is getting into politics. This is going to shit on somebody. But the fact that we have a president that tweets more than a fucking college kid. Yeah. Like a college... Like a young college girl, first year in. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, and the shit that this motherfucker says that every, anybody can go out there and and do the due diligent work. Not even to do... do just go online for two seconds and find it to be a yeah. blatant fucking lie. And this guy acts like, no, it's not. Right. Makes up a fucking word like false news. Come on! Yeah. You know, again, I'm, I don't want to get into politics because, I mean, everybody's yeah. got their own thing. And, and I'm sure there are people who feel the same way about, you know, the other side. But it's, it's just one of those things. That's my problem with it is it's too much. Yes. Like, I would love to go back to the time where someone had to wait three months for that picture to come out. But then again, industry wouldn't be where it is now. You know, the fact that you can see, I could do something, I could do the most, the, the most amazing tattoo. Blow people's fucking minds. Put it online, some dude from fucking the middle of fucking Indonesia mm-hmm. could see it and do one better within the same afternoon, within hours of me, him seeing it. Yeah. So that's one of those things where our industry has grown, in my opinion, it's grown entirely too fucking fast. And the biggest issue, I think, is there are just too many people willing to take advantage of that. The suppliers, the shop owners, fuck, it's, oh, and they've, they've always been there. But now they can do it in record time. Now with the internet, they yeah. can, you can get Now they can out. do it in record time. I had a big lapse in my tattooing life from when I first started getting stuff in, in, in the early 90s, maybe up until 2000-ish is when I got... And then 
I didn't get anything for I don't know, 15, 16 years, something like that. I and you know, at at when I, at first I was still reading magazines and this, and then I kind of dropped out of reading magazines and and, and kind of dropped out of, of keeping track of, of what was going on in the tattooing world. And then when I when I got re uh, re immersed into it, and I I discovered Instagram and I wasn't I didn't even have an Instagram account right. I, I may have had an account but it wasn't something I used or anything and when I saw this I saw and I said geez and I saw the the, the work that the some people are turning out and just how many people how many great artists there are and, and, and how easy it was to find stuff I said this is really this is really great but you know like the flip side is what is what you're saying it's just it's oversaturation yeah. it's too many people it's too many and it's not just in this it's everything it's everything I mean being on growing up on Long Island man I remember when framing became like framing artwork and stuff you know someone opened up a framing shop and someone was like I can do that I'm gonna open up a framing shop too and before you know it like and I only say this because I had friends who owned a framing shop and their biggest complaint within three years of being open was do you realize how many framing shops there are now delicatessens bagel shops Pizzerias, like no matter what you do, if you show this much success, there's going to be a million people looking to jump on that fucking bandwagon, right. and that's that's sickening, man. It's 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 disgusting, and you got people that aren't even fucking trying. And the yeah. worst part is when you get somebody out there who owns a bar, who owns a restaurant, who does something so far beyond what everybody else does, and nobody can appreciate it because maybe it's a dollar more a slice. Or maybe it's you know you know my, my my cocktails are fucking twelve bucks as opposed to nine bucks or ten bucks yeah. because I don't use fucking fountain soda I use fucking bottled soda that sickens me because that's somebody that that's a general public that just doesn't get it right and that's that's disgusting but that's the world we live in man. right but then say that's, that's the like, world we live that's in that's like social media culture almost that's, exactly that's which is it, shitty right? and that's not going to ever get better now. It's like the planet we live on, dude. This is not, this is, this is like, this is, we're on the shit, we're on the downside, man. There ain't no way to bring this shit back. You know what I mean? It's like a bad fucking movie, except it's going to take fucking seven, you know, 170 years versus fucking 30 minutes. With with all the stuff we're saying with social media and Instagram and blah, blah, blah. The difference that I see from, from then till now with, with like, so with the immediacy of everything and people just jumping into it and the, and the accessibility of, of. Of tools of the trade to everyone, and and yeah, 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 is in the in the past. And I always hate saying like old stuff because I never, I never wanted to grow up and be like, oh, in my day, this, and in my, but you know, sometimes stuff is yeah, what it is. Exactly. In in when I started getting tattooed, when you started uh, getting tattooed and, and getting and tattooing, the the people that were like you, that were that were. Doing, doing something different, doing something more, helping to advance tattooing, were were mostly artists that that fell into tat, fell yeah. into tattooing. Now, now you have people that are just tattooers. They just they're, they're whether they're artists to some degree is, is debatable, but you know they're just coming up and they're kids and I want to be a tattooer and that's. When you speak with people that are, you well, know, when you got, older, when you, you never hear that, no one ever wanted no. to. When you got, when you got schools opening up, basically yeah. telling people you should be, a t- you want to be a tattooer. Like there's one down here. Their their lure is basically like, have you been told you can't be a tattooer? Yeah. Well, we're telling we got a school that can teach you, yeah. dude. That is the bit. It's like giving fucking candy to a fat kid. 
Like, are you fucking kidding me? That's going to be your fucking lure. You've been told you can't do this. The fucking tattoo industry trying to keep you out. Nobody's trying to keep your stupid ass out. If you want something bad enough, you should fucking work for it. Having said that, Hal, (laughs) I was the guy who was basically brought into the business. So it is contradictory for me to say that, but it's not like I was actively pursuing this. Well, that's what what I mean. So I can't. I'm I'm angry because of the. I'm not angry at the people who want to learn how to tattoo. I'm angry at the douchebags who take advantage of that because you know as well as I do, dude. If you fucking, if you bring, if you open up a school, you take 30 people in, fucking 10 of those people, five of those people are lucky to finish the courses that you've given sure. them. Lucky. And if they're, if they become maybe two or three of those guys are going to be good tattooers. Now what happens to the other fucking 30? Now how many of those people are going to work out of their fucking homes or do something yeah. stupid or whatever? But dude, there's, there's a reason why we did things the way we did. And again, dude, when I got into this business, it started to turn. I mean, guaranteed, it took 30, 30 almost, almost 30 years to get to that point. But the fact is, it's like when Cliff took me in, a nobody who didn't care about tattooing, that was where that was the beginning of it. And I'm again, I'm not, I'm not going to defend, I'm not going to knock him but, for it. I'm not going to defend myself the, for it. But the difference is, he saw you as an artist. He had seen, yeah, he, he had, saw potential in something, right. which is, which I'm, I'm flattered by. But it was one of those things where I don't think I should have been asked. You know what I mean? But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that I, I shit on everything. That I, I did a, 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 pair, a poor job. You know I mean, I've had a, I've had a great career. So it's like I mean, and I've done a lot. I mean, I've tried to do a lot. I've tried to be you know, do something positive for the industry, not mm-hmm. just well, I do nothing do nothing but talk shit. But there usually is a positive end of things. You know what? I, I look at it as something. When, when you're talking about people um, opening tattoo schools, because I know there's there's ones around the country and yeah. people do do videos on YouTube how to tattoo and and all this shit like that, and I look at it kind of like like the way I, I always looked at film school since I was in college. When I was in college, I knew a lot of kids like I'm going to film school, I'm going to film school, and I always thought that was kind of crazy because there's only so many jobs in the film industry, and if you have you know a thousand colleges across the country graduating classes with, you know, hundreds of kids every year, that you're not all going to Hollywood don't make that much right. fucking money. There's just not that many jobs in the film industry. Even even nowadays, with, with uh, where it's so much bigger with, with, you know, all these so many different TV yeah. channels, there's still not as many That's jobs. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's not... But you're not going to have as many good tattooers as wanna as are going to go yeah. to a school. I mean, and to me, that's that's at the core of everything. If you're... even if Even if you could be the best artist as far as as technical application can you put ink in the skin good and can you you know pull a straight line blah blah that's great but if you're not a good artist at the core of it that's yeah. your work is never going to look good it's, yeah. it's just it's, gonna it's, ugly. it's yeah it's gonna tough. Be a great painter it's of ugly call. stuff it's definitely a tough call like i said i think everything comes down to just too fucking much it, it reminds me uh, uh, to a much now it's a much bigger degree but back then it was much less of of the I guess it was mid '90s, uh, like Marvin the Martian yeah. craze, when when you had a lot of people that probably never would have got tattoos before were getting Marvin the Martians and a little monster or a gossamer. The gossamer, yeah, yeah, and you know, a lot of people were getting that in Looney Tunes kind of cartoons. Yeah. A lot of people, but you know, uh, on the flip side. They were mostly not getting them that big, and they weren't getting them on their face, and yeah, they weren't right. getting them on. Yeah, it's know? different. Different. Well, the thing is, now everybody's got to be. You got to be that much more in the face. Yeah. You got to be much that much more in, uh, out there, and that much more noticeable and recognizable. Bullshit. It's all bullshit. Yeah. Nobody does anything for themselves anymore. It seems. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say nobody does. Most people don't. 
Yeah, well, you know, someone has to think of the one thing that everyone else is going to copy. Exactly. Well, I mean, social media makes makes people want to show their fucking lives off. I mean, I do it all the time, but for me, I'll be honest with you, it's about keeping my face in the fucking public's eye because that's that's I look at social media as a tool in order to get people to see what that I'm still tattooing that I'm still doing what I do. The fact that I post pictures of my dogs and stuff like that. Hey, if you don't like it, fuck off. I don't care. I remember the first time I posted a picture of my dog, someone got mad and they were like, I just want to see tattoos. I'm like, here's an idea. Eat a dick. You no longer have to see anything. Like, this is my shit, dude. Fuck you. I think, I think for tattooers posting pictures, it's good to post some stuff. Uh, oh, dude, when per, you got guys personal. showing off their fucking, their fancy fucking, or again, I've, I've done pictures of my, my, my Cadillac, but it's, to me, it's, it's, that's a classic thing and it's not an expensive vehicle I'm not I'm not showing off you know what even if even you know? if you post pictures of a car I'm not even talking about stuff like that although I sometimes I can't help it when I see someone post a picture of like a, a real expensive car I'm like yeah well maybe I don't want to pay you that much maybe, yeah. maybe you're making a little too much but uh, I just meant something like if, if you post occasional pictures of of whatever of yourself of your of your dogs of your it shows vacation. you're a human being yeah it right it makes you, it makes you into a person you're exactly. not just uh, you're not just a bunch of pictures on Instagram, but you know there's a lot of people, and I follow a bunch of them, that that post way more pictures of themselves than, than of they their do tattoos, and I'm like, well, that's that's good for your friends, but I don't like I'm not. Well, again, but I'm that's not that interested. But, in your but and I life. get that, which is why you stop following them. I mean, I've done that. I've I've had I've had people that get too into. I mean, shit, I can't tell you how many people I've stopped following on these TV shows. Like, uh, I just like, hey, you know what? I don't want to see anything about that. Goodbye. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not, it's not me being an asshole. That's me just not giving a shit about the television shows. And I don't need to have fucking nine people on my fucking feed showing me the same fucking video from fucking Ink Master. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that's true. I just don't want to see it. So I just stopped following it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, it's a shame because they do. They are talented people, but that's cool. I'll, I'll check it out when everything's died down. Yeah. You know, I'll do it at my own leisure. I don't want to I don't want to have to wake up every morning to see the fucking next on Ink Massive. Fuck that <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? Fuck yeah. that shit. That's I not what that's I'm funny for. too cuz I follow I mean, I follow some people from Ink Master and some people that are now that have gotten on. And and don't get me wrong, them. I get it. They're, it's their responsibility. Like when you get on these shows, I had to do it too. You know what I mean? And if somebody said, hey, man, fuck oh, that shit, I can't watch it. Yeah, you have an obligation. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I mean, dude, they were kind of guys who got Twitter accounts just because they had to, because mm -hmm. that's social media. So it was one of those things like, if, and if, if someone came up to me and said, I don't want to see this no more, I'm like, cool, I, I, I'm sorry, I got no choice. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I get it. You know what I mean? But that's the whole point of the social media thing. It's like, if I don't want to see it, I don't have to see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It shouldn't have to have it shoved up my ass. Yeah. You know? The so. Ink Master thing is definitely. Overload because I'm saying thing. Well, but dude, I, I that's, that that's day, why it's where it's people. at, man. That's why it's where it's at. Yeah. You know, they did. They do a good job. You know what I mean? They do a good job. Yeah. I can't. You can't knock it. You know what I mean? I just don't like the drama. I mean, it's it's well, the same thing. It's it's the same thing as like a TV show that's gone too long or a movie that just went too far. Yeah. It's what you just sit back and it's like, dude, I just want to see it end. I'm, I'm cool. Like, let's just see it end. Like, yeah. that's it. Why does it have to go on for fucking ninety seasons? <laughs> like, how many fucking things are you going to continue to do? It's the, you know the fact is. The level, the field, the the, lay, the playing field has kind of leveled out. Yeah. Like everybody on, a majority of the people on the show are fucking good. So now what do they got? They got drama. Well, guess what? I don't care about drama. And that was again, that was part of the difference with the TV show with with Inc, with best right. best Inc was we focused on tattooing. Well, for the most part, we focused on tattooing, and that's what people want to see. I mean, that's the thing that kills me. Like Spike Network. I mean, uh, excuse me. Um, uh, no, but what's the? Uh, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Um, no, the the one that does. Uh, all the documentary shit. Uh, TLC, Discovery? No, 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 no. A&E? Uh, 
no, the, the underground one that got bought out by HBO oh, recently. Vice. Vice, yeah. But Jesus Christ, I'm a fucking memory shot. But when Vice does their things, that's legit, man. Like, those are really, they don't get nearly as much fucking play. They don't oh. get nearly as much play. I think the only issue I have with Vice is the fact that it's like, here's an idea, guys. Turn your fucking head. Not everything is happening there. Yeah. There's a bunch of stuff happening here. Why do we have to see, focus on one thing? right now because that's the only person you fucking know here's an idea here's a phone number call that guy too yeah because not for nothing that guy's amazing too and we should hear about him it's like when they did that new that that california tv show i mean a movie on black and gray tattooing oh that's right nothing ever happened on the east coast it was all on the west coast (laughs) you know so it's just one of those things it's like whatever cool you know yeah it's exactly so it's like it's like if you're gonna do dude if you're gonna do your if you're gonna say you're doing your job like one of my biggest complaints back in the day with the magazines were it's like oh you're 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 a magazine producer right it's like cool here's an idea why don't you go out and find somebody talented like why do you have to wait for us to mail you pictures right you know what i mean like or they go to a convention and like walk around and be like oh you know we we just didn't get any good coverage i'm like really paul booth was here philip lou was here bernie luther was here this guy was here this guy was here this and they're just like, oh, well, you know. No, there's no way you know. You're a reporter. Yeah, like, That's what you fucking do. Find the fucking interview, man. Yeah. Like, when you come back, I, and I remember ragging on a fucking person who did a convention. It was the first Tattoo the Earth, and it was in mm. Pennsylvania. And, dude, they did the worst coverage of that show. And it literally, it was, it was fucking Paul Booth, Ber- uh, um, Philip Blue, Guy Aitchison, uh, might have been Tintin. Dude, it was wow. fucking hammers. And not one of them was fucking interviewed. They interviewed a bunch of fucking has-beens and a fu- and a handful of fucking crowd people. And I'm like, this is the. W-. And I, I I remember running into the person at like some convention and r- like yelling at them on the convention <laughs> floor. And this girl walked away crying. I'm like, don't take the fucking job. Like your job was to report on this. Yeah. You literally could have gone into one tent, and nailed all five fucking guys, and you didn't fucking do it. Eat a dick. Yeah. Everybody misses out on that fucking event. Right. Fuck you, dude. You didn't do your job, and that's and nowadays it doesn't matter because it's it's all like, oh, I got you. I got this guy too. Right. I got that guy too. He's <laughs> pictures of everyone. If exactly. Anything. Exactly. Yeah. So. Do you think maybe she just wasn't uh, wasn't familiar with the with tattooing? No, I think she just shouldn't have been fucking doing it. Doing that's it. all that's it fair. is. That's what it comes down to. It's like she wanted a free ticket to a fucking concert. She got it. She yeah. shouldn't have been saying she was there working. That's fair. Let's go back to uh, to Lotus. So you're at Lotus. So you. You left Cliffs. Yeah. You went to Lotus. You you were you were making Flash there for a while. You went to um, you went to, to Scranton. Or you went to uh. I, I, well, Richmond, that's I, I went to, to I went to well, I went to I my first convention I worked was Wilkesbury, the the Ink in the Valley show, and then from there I got I went oh, and got yeah, I Ink finally got to do Richmond. I got to do Richmond a year later. Are they still do Ink in the Valley? Uh, not that one. That guy left. The show, tan- the show just died after a while. And now uh, there's a couple of guys from that area that do a convention. And then there was another uh, convention that it was, they were all kind of fr- friends called the Redding. It was in Redding, Pennsylvania okay. called Valley Forge. Um, and that convention became Pagoda. Okay. But, Pag- but Valley, Valley Forge had ended a couple of years before. Justin Weatherholtz and Joe Johns, who Justin's from there originally, and Joe Johns, who's still there, they wanted, Justin wanted to do something. And he went back, talked to the guys like Tracy and Brian and said, hey man, I want to do Pagoda. And, uh, you know, basically I asked their permission, which was what the right thing to do. And now Pagoda happens now. So it's the same, same venue and everything else. Cool. Okay. So, so you sold your flash and then you went and you, 
Yeah, and I worked at Lotus. Called, I worked at Lotus for nearly six years. Okay. I worked. I was there for nearly six years, and in that time, I met a guy named Corey Kruger. Mm-hmm. Um, Corey lived in New Hampshire. He worked for Julie Moon. Uh, he tattooed me. I tattooed him, and um, I really. He's an amazing tattooer, yeah. amazing. And uh, he wasn't happy his situation. I wasn't crazy about my situation. Um, I love Civ, but it just it got to a point where I was like, I was growing up, and I and tattooing was responsible for that. Like, I would have stayed on Long Island if I'd never gotten into tattooing. My wife often says it. She's like, you would have married a girl, you would have had five kids, and you would have never left Long Island. She's probably right. Um, but tattooing changes everything, you know? And uh, I just outgrew it. And I got to the point where I'm like, I don't want to work for somebody anymore running shit that I don't own. And it wasn't even the ownership thing. It was just the, I don't know what it was. It just got to a point where I'm like, I, 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 I want to grow as an artist. Corey was the guy I thought could teach me. Um, and we up and left. We went to New Hampshire, my wife and I. And um, I was there for three years. Unfortunately, Corey and I only lasted about a year and a half. Mm. Um, Corey's a unique individual. Um, again, I still respect the fuck out of him. He's just a weird person. Um, we just didn't get along, unfortunately. So he did his own thing. I stayed up there for about another year and a half. Color bomb, right? That was color box. Color, color box. box. Okay. Yeah, color box. And we were in Seabrook, New Hampshire. Um, and then uh, at the same time, my mom still lived on Long Island, so I was coming back to Long Island pretty regularly. Um, and then uh, we were going to go cross country after the whole thing at New Hampshire kind of tanked. And we were going to go to Boston, and it just nothing really worked. I didn't feel right. Everything felt like I got fucking shit on. So I'm like, I'm out. I don't want to do this no more. And uh, we were going to go cross country, my wife and I. And my wife got di- my mom got diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I didn't want to go back to Long Island because I knew if I if I went there, I was never going to leave. Mm-hmm. I was good friends with the guys at Dark Side here in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So I stopped here. They offered me a position, a place, pay rent, just come and go as I please. And it's an hour and a half from where my mom lives. So it was like, we, I was doing, able to do that. So I did that for a year. She eventually, she passed in about a year after she got diagnosed. Oh, I'm sorry. And by that point, Dark Side, the owner of Dark Side kind of had some issues. I couldn't be part of it. We were gonna leave and we opened Hope. And it was one of those things where you, you open something, you, you build roots, you collect shit, you get a bigger building and yeah. uh, now I'm here and I've been here for 18 years now so yeah 17 years, years 17, 17 years because we've been we've been hope has been going on for nearly it'll be it'll be 17 years uh, next I think it'll be 17 we started in 93 so I don't know or 90 yeah, yeah 93 uh, it's 19 this year so 16 years 17. yeah 16 going on 17 years so because we've been here for 10, and we just signed our second five-year lease. So. Oh, you were in a different location before this? When you, when uh, we were in downtown. We were downtown for mm. six years. We were there for six years. We've been here for 10 years. Like, this month was 10 years. Um, so 16 years. This must, so. be, this must be a lot nicer than being downtown. It is. Really. It is nicer. But it's also, it's off the beaten path. And yeah. while we have a lot of the amenities, we just, you, you lack that, that in and out. Yeah, all the stuff that's yeah, right exactly. there. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, what about, I mean, you're not... This is not a walk-in shop, right? So, I mean, you're not... No, but we do we do walk-ins. And nowadays, you oh, kind of yeah. have to, man. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, the problem being is everybody's got books and, you know, booking and stuff. Yeah. Trying to find another couple of artists that I can get to work and do do more in the way oh. of walk-ins and stuff. Oh. So, you know, I mean, I'm shit. I'm doing walk-ins now, too. So, really? you know. Yeah. Who would ever thought you'd you know? walk in a Yeah, well, unfortunately, like wild. I said, business has changed, man. It's not what yeah. it used to be. It's not what it used to be. That's for sure. Um, when you were at Lotus... You have a lot of hardcore guys come in, or a lot of band guys come. Okay, in? Okay, so Lo- when we opened Lotus up, Civ like Civ is like a fucking 
he's like a straight edge God and a hardcore guy. Sure. You know what I mean? So when we first opened up, you had a lot of these young kids coming in all these like, and back then like hardcore on Long Island wasn't really, it was a thing. It was a scene, but it was oh, yeah. small. Yeah. So you'd have literally like fucking eight guys sitting at the counter, all skin, all, all fucking clean shaven and stuff. And then Siv, they're all there to see Siv. And it got to the point where the shop got a little bit of reputation as being this like skinhead shop, but they're not skinhead, mm. they're hardcore kids. Yeah, sure. So you had the older generation of people and some bikers that were just like, what the fuck is going on there? What kind of shop are you guys running? And Tom used to get a little upset by it. Siv didn't care because it was just, they were, they were fans, whatever. Um, but Tom used to get upset by it. And he'd be like, dude, you can't let these guys hang out here. It's, it looks bad for the shop. For me, I my introduction to hardcore was Civ. Like I grew up listening to fucking Kansas, fucking Jethro Tull, fucking <laughs> you know, I mean I grew up listening to old school like rock and roll and yeah. shit. Like I didn't grow up listening to that stuff, you know? So for me meeting Civ, like I didn't know Civ was in a band until I think just before we left Cliffs, I, I knew he was mm. in a band. And then he was like, yeah, I was in a band called Gorilla Biscuits. And he was cool about it. He never bragged about it or anything. They must, and, have, uh, they must have been done by then. Cause, I mean, they, they were totally done. But this is when like he, was, he was being asked to come back and do Civ. So Walter had, from what I, you know, Walter had oh, basically yeah. called him up and said, hey, man, I want to produce an album. Would you be willing to come back as yourself? And Siv's like, fuck yeah, dude. And, and so at that time, Siv was doing re rehearsals, writing with Walter. Mm taking the train back and forth. I was driving him back and forth, you know, to, from the train station to the shops and stuff. And then in the middle, middle of all that, Tom's trying to open up Lotus. So it got to a point where he's like, listen, dude, we're months, we're like a month away from opening. Mm -hmm. You need to leave Cliffs, come to work with me. And me like an asshole couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Like, I'll give you three months notice. And I got <laughs> fired. So I basically, I didn't have, I didn't have work for like a month. I helped them build, oh, helped wow. them build the shop. So, um, so yeah, so like, so when they opened Lotus, um, you know, Siv had guys like Toby coming out, fucking yeah. Isaac, fucking his friend Devil, who's, who's actually mm -hmm. more of like a, a, one of the guys who hang around. Yeah, um, some of the guys from fucking, uh, sick of it all and stuff like, so I got to be friendly with all those guys, more acquaintance, like, like Danny, like Isaac was super fucking cool. I've tattooed him a bunch of times, Toby a bunch of times, but like, it was always like, I didn't care who the fuck they yeah, were. Like I didn't meant nothing to me. To you, they're just other guys. Yeah. I didn't care. You know, we had, when we had Dickie Barrett come into the shop from mm. the Boston's, I was excited about that cause I was a big Boston's fan. Yeah. But I didn't stand Like he literally came in I'm like hey man How's it going I'm going Cause I'm like If he's an asshole I'm gonna fucking break Every fucking boss tones Fucking cassette I have And no, disc he's No super he's super cool. Yeah super, I, I met him twice He was super nice But I don't Again I just met him in passing Tom used to tattoo him uh, um, I, I met him uh, Only once uh, But um, I'm very very brief though So I'm passing But I have I have two Two fast dicky stories I'll tell Um the first time I saw the Boston's was actually was here in New Haven at, at the tune in yeah. and um, the, they were playing it was, it was long ago it was I think they only had the first two albums the Devil, Devil's Night Out and I, I forgot the second yeah. the yellow one whatever I, more noise and other disturbances maybe yeah that's, that might be it yeah so they're playing and, and the show's going on and there's a huge pile on on the stage so I'm up there and I was, I was skinnier back then and uh <laughs> So I'm there and I'm way up on I'm up on top of everyone on stage and I got thrown back and I fell and I knocked over this big uh this big stack of, of amps or something, whatever speakers. Not amps, a big stack of speakers. And um so the bouncer basically picks me up. Picks me up by like the the my belt in my pants loop and, and my shirt and throws me off the stage. And Dickie somehow through all of the million people on the stage and everything, he saw that. 
and he stopped the band from playing and he I mean he berated this bouncer on a yeah. stage in front of everyone these are my fucking fans don't touch them and I was like yeah. wow and I was I really felt uh, yeah. you know that made me feel a lot of respect for him not not specifically because it was me, but just because just in general for yeah. his for his fans because it's not like he called me up and he's like, hey, you know, whatever. I'm sorry it happened. Yeah, right. But I mean, just for that, his for his fans that he would do that. And I thought that was cool. I think Siv is a lot, a lot like that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he's always been like I've 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 heard interviews and stuff because I've lost touch with Siv over the years. You know, um, but things I've heard is like he's very much very similar to that. When Lotus was open, I remember a lot of times looking at. Just, no, I would say a lot of times looking at his stuff in magazines. I don't think he sent that much stuff in, but I mean, oh, back in the day, we used to send in oh. stacks of shit. Man. Oh, I, I, we used to really go out of our way to try to get stuff in the mags. Nowadays, I'm sure. I remember not, seeing, you know, I remember seeing your stuff. I yeah. don't, I don't remember seeing Civs as much, but I remember always thinking, wow, it'd be awesome to get tattooed by Civ. But I, I mean, his, uh, from what I remember, at least he he does more of a, like a traditional. Yeah, he's stuff. more of a traditional. Yeah, guy. that's just that's not really my yeah, thing. Yeah, like, well, that was the thing. Like that's where we kind of separate. He did his thing. I did my yeah. thing. We had a couple other guys that did their own thing. You know what I mean? Like we all did everything. Like if some came, if like, something came in off, off the street and picked something off the wall, no matter what it was, we didn't talk them into doing something. Yeah. But after a while, like I'm sure he's probably doing nothing but traditional now. Yeah, I mean, everyone I guess, goes to their own style. Well, yeah, you get to a point in your career where you want to you want to do what you do, and that's it. Yeah, you know? I mean, it, it would have been cool to say, "Hey, I got a, I got something done by Sif, but I wasn't going to get something that's not really that my you thing." Don't want. Just to yeah, just to say it was yeah, just to say he did it. Yeah, cool, but cool, but not cool enough to actually put it on me forever. Exactly. I yeah. Guess. Um, you think about all the new school stuff going on. I mean, new school is, is I don't know if I don't know if it's big for people getting it because I hear. I, I hear stories from from new school places that they don't book that far out. They don't. Like I that. think again but that's that's that goes down with what I was saying before. I think that if you're in the trend right now, they're very popular. But I think if your style stands out more than most, you're not going to be nearly as popular. I think the more original you are in certain styles, especially mm-hmm. in new school style, and the more original you are, the more you stand out as an individual. The least like the less likely you're going to be to get to be the, the the popular guy unless you're in the trend, getting tattooed, tattooing mainly other tattooers, you know, um, getting good coverage, maybe getting in the magazines, whatever. Or, I mean, uh, on the TV shows. But I think that uh, I think new school right now is at a lull because I mean there there's plenty of people doing it and they're doing it amazing. Like there's yeah. some to me like I think new school guys are like the animators of our business of 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 our business. Like these guys are truly unique individuals they're doing something that nobody else is fucking doing they're doing it their fucking way mm-hmm. I mean they're doing what I did back in the day and uh, the bitch of it is I don't think they're being nearly I don't think they're getting nearly as much press as they should because I think that the general public is so used to seeing that they just they're just so used to getting what they know they see like you know I've often used the uh, you know the, the, the example of like you know there's a million Michael Keaton Batman tattoo portraits Michael Keaton was like the worst looking fucking Batman. You know what I mean? But everybody knows that character. Right. Jack Nicholson's Joker. It was fucking horrible. But yeah. Nico did that one back in the day. And why did he, you know, I mean, at the time it was it was new for, you know, color realism. Right. But that became the standard. And now, now instead of going into a comic book and finding an amazing picture of the Joker or an amazing picture of fucking Batman, you go they to the movies. the same one. And it, well, not even so much you use the same one. You go to the movies. You go to something that every normal person's going to see. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, 
there's no take on on your um, your taste. You know what I mean? Like I like this style versus that style. No, I like fucking you know Michael Keaton's Batman over fucking you know George Clooney's Batman. And that's what it comes down to. And the average person looks at it as like, oh yeah, Michael Keaton is much more recognizable as Batman. No, he's not. The comic book is more recognizable as fucking Batman. Sure. But you have to think, out of all these millions of fucking photos of Batman drawn amazingly, well, I don't, I don't want to go through all that. I'll just get this one. Yeah. And that's what the world has come to. And that's the same thing with color realism. Because if you look at a picture of like a great tattoo done well, like a tattoo, like a comic book, Mm-hmm. reproduces a comic with tattoo done well versus a color portrait I'm not going to say that color portraits aren't going to last forever but they sure as fuck ain't going to last as long as a regular tattoo you know what I mean and they're going to age differently where a good tattoo is going to age like a good tattoo and it's always going to look like a good tattoo a color portrait is not now where's your portrait artist going to be in fucking 10 years when you need to get that thing touched up yeah. I've touched on this a couple times it seems to be a bone of contention in the tattoo industry about things like that, about color portraits and, and this hyper-realistic stuff that, that's going on now. Whether it's good for the industry, whether it advances tattooing, because if you have a tattoo that's most likely not going to last as well, it's going to need to be touched up much more frequently, frequently whatever, than, yeah. than maybe not every 20 years, maybe every five or six years. Uh, you know, I mean, is, is doing a tattoo that when you first do it, that looks great, but it doesn't have longevity is that yeah. really something it's tough to, it's a tough call it, man it I think it's, it's on the client I think it's on the client and I think it's going to be one of those things time's going to tell I mean that's what it comes down to man it's what you spend on it how uh, whether or not you feel it's I mean there's always going to be artists out there or, or clients out there that have a tattoo I mean I've seen it where they get a tattoo tattoo six years old looks like dog shit but they're just happy they got it from who they got it from they're happy what they paid for it yeah. and it's one of those things you can look at them and be like you're a fucking idiot like you just spent a ridiculous amount of money on a tattoo that you shouldn't have because it's not gonna last right. now you can say that but I'm not the one that's gotta grow old with it so and if, and if someone's gonna put value on a person's name and what they paid for their tattoo versus the versus what we consider to be good and bad that's on them, man. If they're going to be a dumbass, let them be a dumbass. You know what I mean? Let them. I mean, if there are people who live on the beach and spend millions of dollars on a beach home that they know on the first Nor'easter, it's going to get washed away at yeah. sea. You know what I mean? The difference is they have insurance. Right. You know? One, one thing I think I've learned over over the years, and because nowadays that tattoos are so common, no one, no one asks my opinion on anything anymore. But back, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago when it was much less common, and I had you know some big stuff and so a lot of guys would ask me oh what do you think about that well, you know I got I got a tattoo also what do you think it is people would show me and I saw so many pieces yeah. like, oh god these look like a fucking like a little kid did like they look yeah. so bad yeah but you can't be but, the one to say that but what I, right uh, so I never want to say it so I, you know at first I would try to say something like you know I was real ambivalent oh, oh that's where'd you get that or they try to just kind of blow over the question but what, what I think I learned over time is that the most important thing is that they're just the, the person who has it is happy with what they have, and you can't and take it away. Even if it looks like them. shit, if they like it, then whatever. Who am I to say you can't take it away from yeah. them? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. But let me let me ask you something. When, when I when I asked about the new school, what I was what I was thinking in the back of my head is that I feel that you're probably one of the progenitors of the, of that style. 
Well, yeah, I mean, because nobody was doing, nobody was willing to take those chances back then, and they, and then when they did, they were kind of tending to follow. They followed the trends, you know, the chrome toasters, the fucking everything in a blender. You know what I mean? Like those were things that became. Somebody did it first, but then everybody followed after. Um, I think the difference was that I. I did something in a style that was recognizable as being mine, whether it be good or bad. I'm not going to say it was great. Um, and I continued to do it. And people continued, to, and getting the press and getting the, it was a smaller world back then, man. So I could stand right. out more. And, you know, just because I did it first doesn't necessarily make it best. You know what I mean? No, but, no, I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just w- wondering for your thoughts on it as, as uh, you know what, you know, man? The, like, asking, like asking Black Sabbath, well, what do you think of metal now? Everything's, you, everything you know? starts somewhere. I think the difference between, say, using music as an example I think it's definitely better now than it was back then for me for tattooing wise not not metal I don't care about that it's not <laughs> me I don't I can't make that decision but I mean for me it's like I man there's some fucking talent out there I mean I've been tattooed by him Victor Chill mm-hmm. like that guy's fucking ridiculous yeah. you know what I mean like so and that's a, that's someone who works within the fucking boundaries of what we want to see a great solid tattoo you know what I mean so I think the talent pool is just so much fucking larger now and again, being able to see, like back in the day, if I went to Japan and picked up a book on manga and brought it back and let that influence me, I mean, I had to go to Japan to do it. And yeah. in order for somebody else to see it, they either had to go to Japan as well, or they had to see me do it. Right. Now, again, you go online, it's like, oh, what's the new hot shit in fucking Bali, Indonesia? Ah, cool, man, I got that. Even with that being true, I, I still feel like I, sometimes when I look at tattoos from certain, like, like, like these Russian tattoos or, or something like that. Like you see, these guys have still have kind of a style that's from from that area. Yeah, still yeah, that yeah. People well, and that's what's beautiful about that. Yeah, over here. but that's what's beautiful about that, and that's what's beautiful about that is the fact that you still do have that. Like European, when when Bernie Luther, Philip Blue, like Philip Blue is like I want to say I, I guess the originator of like European Japanese. You know what I mean? Philip Blue, yeah. Klaus Furman, fucking. Uh, um, um, uh, little Mick, fucking Little Mick, uh, uh, like uh, Tintin. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to blank on fucking names. There's so many fucking great names over there, and those are the guys. Bernie Luther. These guys started something, you know, that was just like fuck. That's European shit. And it wasn't until later on the Japanese style, the traditional Japanese style, became much more popular. But right. to me, I still I grew up on on Philip Blue style Japanese. Right. I prefer that. Over, over anything that's traditional, yeah. you know what I mean. So for me, that's um, that's that's the that's that's important. I think with tattooing and the new school thing, the new school thing is so ridiculously over, all over the place. There's really no way of saying, well, the European new school or this kind of new school no, because. New school and again, and that. I think with the again with social media today. It, bl- it fucking blurs all lines. It blurs all lines. So, like, you know, somebody that, something that Timmy B does here that he's known for doing, that he created, mm-hmm. that's being done all over the world now, which is a shame because it was Timmy B's thing. But now, fuck, it, you, there's guys, you look at it, he's like, who did that? That's not yeah. Timmy? You know, so it's a, it's a, that's a bummer. That bums me out. But it's because I don't think people are, people look at it now as like, they don't have to, they don't have to create themselves. They just have to recreate what you did. Yeah, but I, I think there's still... I think there's still new school guys, and Timmy B is one of them, that that have a style that's that's. Oh no, dis- I'm not. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm not saying he doesn't. I think the problem being is that everybody else can easily ape that style oh, nowadays. Sure, sure. It's a lot easier to ape styles nowadays than it was back in the day. You know what I mean? Oh, that, like yeah, I said, there are guys down. like they're like I said, they don't have to be better than you. They just have to be as good. And yeah. nine times out of ten, they are. That's the scary yeah. part. I know that in in the. 
in the existence of tattooing, there's always people that just want to get anything and they're not that that picky about what they're getting and they just want to get something and have something or anything and and yada yada. But I mean, I, I see. I guess it's just because of, of social media. Though. I see nowadays with such frequency, people saying, "I want that." Like, I want this tattoo that someone exactly. else and did. That's that's the problem. That's, that's I mean, just wanting it exactly. <laughs> and for so. years, for years, we would say no, 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 no. But now you've got ten times the amount of tattooers. Yeah. It only takes one to say yes, and that's the problem. And, and now everybody does it. Now everybody's like, ah, cool, I'll do it. No problem. <laughs> oh, you want that copied exact? No problem. There's fucking Instagram sites that, that are calling people out based on that. They're calling people out on fucking copying Tattoo Flash. Like, I do Flash. Like, we do these, these Flash events. I buy Flash. I pick up Flash. I'll, you know, whatever. I'm waiting for somebody to be like, oh, you weren't supposed to tattoo that. I'm like, dude, you, you sold Flash. Yeah. Now, if you should have, now if you told me you were selling a print, that's different. It's it's it just it, it's the same people who make the books of all their fucking line drawings. Like I yeah. think that's cheap, dude, because it's like you just took all your books, all your line drawings, put them out in a book, and then don't expect anybody to copy them. Right. Doesn't say anything in there about not copying fucking the yeah, artwork, yeah. and you just made a fucking line drawing book. You know what I mean? Like so, to me, like I remember when I did my first sketchbook, I said this is meant to inspire, not meant as reference. Like this, yeah. this, this, these designs were done on people, dude. They were being done left and fucking right on people. So the next book I do, I fucking drew everything for it and said, you know what? You want, it? you want it? It's yours. Fucking knock yourself the mm. fuck out. As a matter of fact, I called the book "Knock Yourself the Fuck Out" or "Knock Yourself Out" because people weren't listening to me anyway. So now I'm just going to draw it. I'm going to fucking reproduce it like Flash, in a in a style in a thing that everybody seems to know, and I'm going to sell it. And the next one I did was called "Bite Me" with the same thing. It was made as Flash. Right. Do it as much as you fucking want. I don't care. And I hopefully, and the worst was it was done after the time that nobody buys stuff anymore. If you can't get right. it online, why buy it? Right. Who cares? <laughs> right. Why buy it? Because you can get you can get something online. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, which actually gave me a good idea. Never mind. I'm not going to get into it here, but I just got a good idea. <laughs> so. All right. Well, you know what? If we're not going to get into it, I think I think we've hit on a lot. Yeah, I think, we're I think good. we've got yeah. a lot covered. We're good. We're good. Um, So I guess I guess that's it. I guess thanks, Joe, for doing the interview. No problem, man. Thank you for coming out. Thank you. No Appreciate problem. it. My pleasure. And uh, thanks for being an awesome tattooer for such a long time. And, and I certainly think inspiring a lot of people artistically. Uh, and I think cool. uh, that's what I was get at with the new school. I think I think like I said I think you were at the forefront. I think without without your style, I mean, may, would it have developed? Maybe, but oh fuck I yeah, mean, it would have most certainly developed. I, I think you were you were. You were at the forefront of it, and with with the style that's certainly there's something to be said. Yours. There's something to be said for being in the right place at the right time. That's yeah. all it comes down to. No, no, no. Listen, I mean, you have to have. You could have been in the right place at the wrong time with a totally different style, but yeah. you weren't. I mean, you got you got your style, which is which is you know very recognizable as yours. But to, just, like I said, to me, when I look at it and I look at at what is in new school tattooing now I, I can't help but think that it's somehow linked back to uh. back to your stuff that that your stuff was the like I said was the was the was the was there at the beginning and, and kind of inspired was the step uh, but, the, yeah. the step in that direction oh, I appreciate that something thank like you that. Like, thank like you. the missing link almost and something like in that way thank you so that's it so so thanks to Joe for doing this interview and thanks to everybody for listening and 
Uh, be sure to like and follow us on on everywhere on Instagram, on YouTube, on any podcasting platform you may be listening on. And uh, and that's it. And thanks. We'll see you next time.